Connection. Welcome back to the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast, episode number 52, during the eve of the Royal Rumble. And I have actually a first-time guest joining me somehow. I know the show this has happened, but I he is one of the uh, the triumvirate here and uh, uh, one of the two hosts of the uh, Wrestling War Zone, which I guess if I were to think of maybe the cornerstone of the feed, I would think that may be it, maybe the pod that started it all. But um. Very honored and uh, happy to have with me tonight, Mr. Chad Campbell. What's going on, Chad? Doing good, Jacob. Glad to uh, join. I've been fan since day one. Been pumping them out, and uh, it's this is a good kind of successor to Wrestling Warzone if we ever finish. Right. But you know, <laughs> still a long way to go. <laughs> right, both uh, similar styles of the pods as far as like the way mm-hmm. we cover the timeline um, week by week, and. Um, both that seem to have um, uh, almost unattainable endpoints, it seems. Yes, yes. But, but we are we're chugging along as it is. <laughs> but I'm uh, very happy to have you here. Um, I think it's the first time we've ever done a pod together, so it's kind of uh, it took 50 episodes, over 50 of doing this one. But I'm glad we were able to hook it up finally. Yeah, I don't generally count the uh, chicanery of uh, right. Christmas plays or. I mean, we may have been on a group um, trivia right. or something. Did you ever do the trivia? How far? I have, like... I have never done the trivia. It, it is um. Oh. So I do. I enjoy trivia, but I am weirdly not. Despite being a big wrestling fan, I feel like I'm like particularly weak at wrestling trivia for whatever reason. Oh, I don't know why. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm like solid at. You know, just generic trivia, but wrestling trivia, I find I really suck at it. It for whatever is so nerve wracking, too. I hate, <laughs> oh, hate it. Partially because I usually have Justin like creating these uh, ridiculous expectations where if you don't know who right. the 
did a run in on a 99 raw he you know publicly shamed you for the next 50 podcasts (laughs) but uh but yeah oh so bad like ryan everett he is like a a straight machine like i don't i don't understand I, i find my problem is i know enough about so much like worldwide and different wrestling mm-hmm. that when it becomes honed in on just you know 90 percent wwf wwe history that's where like i know enough to be dangerous but certainly i've forgotten a lot along the way right yeah i'm i'm i find i can remember like the broad strokes of things but the yeah. minutiae of the dates and stuff or whatever who was in whatever match on you know it's just random raw from 94 or something is not going to be right my deal no. um but since it, since it is your first time would you like to tell us um were you uh locked in in 2003 heading into this rumble 2003 mm-hmm. is an interesting uh, year yeah very very locked in on wrestling around this mm-hmm. time i wouldn't say very locked in i was moderately locked in on wrestling around this time zero percent locked in on wwe um really by this point in time it was uh so 2000 right here in 2003 i would have been a junior in high school um Mm -hmm. so you know not the coolest time to be a wrestling fan in 2003 everything had kind of died out uh so i i was still uh pretty closeted with my fandom by this point where you, mm-hmm. you it got that weird thing where you grew up with everybody in the attitude area and then you could see them dropping off and then mm-hmm. you get some that'd be like are you still watching that it's like no yeah i mean i tune in every once in a while um so by this point with wwe i was just mainly wrestlemania um i'm trying to remember like when i watched the royal rumble the first time mm-hmm. Uh, maybe like got the dvd or something like if blockbuster still had them um i'm trying to think but but yeah like weekly raw and smackdown like this was the first time i'd ever watched these two shows we're talking about today so anything Mm -hmm. i was watching was strictly independence um ring of honor predominantly a little ccw uh, iwa mid-south um so that was kind of my bread and butter uh, as well as some Japan stuff, but Japan was kind of weird around this time too. Like they were, like Noah was still cranking out, but New Japan and All Japan was a little bit in the doldrums as well. Right. Was there like a particular like thing that drew you away, or was it just like it, it kind of makes sense though? Like if you're, I feel like if like that age, you might either fade off of wrestling completely or. Like, I would use the parallel to, like, music. I would think if you're somebody who's, like, kind of into music in middle school and stuff, like, as you get older in high school, that might be when you really start to, like, branch out into, like, if you're a big music junkie, like, branch out into different music outside of the mainstream and stuff. Was it more just that sort of thing? Or was it WWE, like, put you off for some reason? It's a combination. Um, The invasion really soured me. Um... So I don't know, it, it kind of becomes like a chicken and egg thing, because around the time of the invasion, I also was first getting into tape trading uh, mm-hmm. and whatnot. So that that helped like ease the pain. But I was I was very turned off by the invasion and the way it was presented um, and, you know, was able to find the outlet elsewhere with Japanese wrestling and independence. And also, like you were saying, I think my age uh, demographic mm-hmm. also helped as well. So it was kind of that perfect storm of all three things. And 
Really? Like, I mean, this is an interesting time frame because, I mean, up to 2001, even, you know, I grew up mostly in Georgia and was hardcore WCW in the Nitro era, but, you know, predominantly for my life as a wrestling fan, I was WWF number one, which I think is a little, you know, that's a weird thing when people hear that. Um, but it was like in the 80s and 90s, I was early 90s, I was aware of WCW, but I was still very WWF. Like Hulk Hogan was my guy and whatnot, and then Bret Hart. Um, so, so this really is this era where WWF, WWE took a back seat and you know, till present day, there's only been a few kind of windows where it's claimed like my preferred number one spot as a wrestling promotion. So you can see the shift right around this time. Yeah, I'm in the same boat, kind of. Like, I was always WWF all the way. And I guess it's part of my age, too. But, like, it's weird going back as I got older and seeing that WCW was uh, known as, like, a southern company. Because when I started getting into wrestling, it was when Bischoff had taken over and was really trying to squash that whole thing. So like all my first impressions of WCW was was just like another big wrestling company like WWF. And so to go back and see like the 80s stuff and all, it kind of blew my mind to see how much more quote unquote Southern it was. Because I'm in the same boat. Even being from the South, I was always, you know, WWF number one. So similar in that way. But um, um, so in lieu of so we usually start this with the the news segment, but it just so happened, and this lined up I think perfectly because, like you said, you are a fan of many different promotions uh, of wrestling worldwide, and so it just so happened that you lined up with the 2002 Wrestling Observer Awards. So we will um, rather than I don't think we had any big news anyway this week. But I thought we would use the news time to go through these. So we'll, we'll quick hit them because obviously there's like a thousand of them. But um, we'll go through <laughs> and we can, uh, we can quick hit and um, maybe we'll give our thoughts on them and I'll see what you think. Because there are some interesting ones. I kind of browsed them earlier. So I'll go through and I'll shoot off maybe the top five for some of these. And um, we can uh, bounce those around for a minute. So the first one, of course, is the rest of the year, the Luthez Ric Flair Award. So number one, how about this? I'll let you take a guess if I uh, see if you're familiar. So if you were to say Ooh. wrestler of the year, now this is the the the, uh, uh, the more box the office one. Yeah. Right. Yes. Uh, I will. The 2002 is a weird year. I'm gonna go with The Rock still. Right. So it is wrestler of the year is Kurt Angle is number one. Ooh. Number two. This is the road trip. Bob Sapp is number two. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. And he goes through an entire thing about Bob Sapp. And I believe Bob Sapp was like Dave's pick. Like if he, he goes through his whole deal about who he would pick and it was Bob Sapp and he had angle number two and he goes into the, you know, all his <laughs> reasons why. But wow. uh, three, Kenji Muto, um, mm-hmm. Tenru number four and uh, Yuji Nagata number five. Yeah. That's, I mean, I I find that interesting because, like, I feel like The Rock was still around enough mm-hmm. and had enough big matches in 2002 to maybe justify that. But it is a weird year where, for that award, there's not that, like, breakaway star. Because, like, Brock, you could say, like, he was the breakout, you know, like, star WWF, WWE-wise. But it kind of remained to be seen how as much as... 
when you talk about like box office and whatnot, you could actually point that business was declining a little bit in most of those metrics. So uh, it's it's a little little weird. It's a weird year for that award. I mean, Angle right, like, is an okay mm-hmm. choice. Right, and he, and that's what Dave why he ends up picking Bob Sapper. So he explains that it's a weird pick to pick Angle because he really was on top. And like to your point, there's really nobody who really dominates the complete year. Like, you know, Brock kind of catches on in the second half of the year. Rocks, you know, he has his big matches, but he's gone a lot. So it's um it's like kind of interesting that Angle would get it as more of an upper mid carter than a main eventer for most of the year. Right. Um, and Austin's Austin's pretty much a non entity too. So it's it's a weird year. Sure. Right, and uh, so most outstanding wrestlers also occur. And you yeah. may know is is that like a rare occurrence for it to be the same guy to get both uh, of those? It's it's fairly rare. Um, I mean, Ric Flair was it for a few times, um, but it 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 can be a pretty rare feat. Uh, but it, it's probably it's kind of I would equate it to like best actor and overall best picture for the Oscars. Like you know, it's not like wow, that's really unexpected, but it's it's probably I, I mean, unless I'm totally off base, I would say it's around fifty fifty on the years. All right, most improved. Now, uh, who was do you have a was like Ben Wan number two? Well, because he was gone too, so who was number two on that? Would it so be somebody like Nagata. Uh, Guerrero, Eddie, uh, number two, yep. then, uh, Kojima, Kojima, mm, yeah. and then Benoit, number four, and then Nagata, number five. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Um, but uh, it's weird too, cause they mix like the UFC stuff in here, which is all yes. strange. Uh, it drives me nuts. Like best <laughs> right. face or whatever. <laughs> right. Cause they, Tito I just, Ortiz or whatever. Right. I just glanced over best feud and it was Tito Ortiz and I think yeah. it's Shamrock or something. It's just <laughs> yeah. T- Tito Ortiz actually isn't a bad, uh, like, um, a bad shout for Luthans, which is just crazy, but that's a wrestler. So, but yeah, they, I think at this point they hadn't, but it's it's always weird when they do that. Okay, so most improved. I feel like this one is pretty straightforward. Um, number one would be uh, Brock, which I make yeah. makes sense. He came in as a yep. rookie, and then he's on top. Edge, um, Yoshiro Takayama, Trish Stratus, and then Loki. Oh. Okay, like here, here's 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 my rant. <laughs> Okay. So, so, so Yoshihiro Takayama. This is a, this is a great bad Dave opinion from the past that you can point to. So Yoshihiro Takayama was a shoot style guy that did uh, UWFI in the mid '90s and then migrated to all Japan uh, once UWFI went out of business and then migrated to Noah. He was always good. Like, Dave portrayed this narrative that, like, when he transitioned from shoot style <laughs> to All Japan and started facing Masawa and Kawada, uh, he was in a tag team with Takeo Omori as No Fear. Um, he, he always presented that he was awkward and it took him a while to transition. That, that's totally bogus. Like, you rewatch the matches. They're not your traditional Kings Road style 90s All Japan matches of, like, you know, very layered storytelling, 35 minutes, multifaceted uh, heat segments, etc. But they're 
compact, usually great bomb fest. Like in 2001, Takayama has an amazing match with Masawa. In 2000, he has an amazing match with Kobashi. So, yeah, that narrative that he all of a sudden became good in 2002, 2003, around this time is totally false. Like, incorrect opinion there. Um, and low-key as well is ridiculous because in 2001, he's already, like, one of the top ten probably wrestlers worldwide, too. I mean, now, in 2002, you might make an argument he's number one, but... Like, 2001 was his breakout year, so that's that's a bad, bad list. <laughs> Two out of the five. This is exactly, exactly what I was hoping for. <laughs> we yeah, are, no, getting, getting mad, getting mad on these 20-year-old takes, but yeah, <laughs> right. it's awful. Okay, this is always a, uh, the Bruiser Brody Award for the oh. best brawler. So, number one, would you like to take a shot at it? I mean, it should be Necro Butcher, but I don't think he'd be mainstream enough to be around that time. So lay it no, on me. He did not make the list this time. No. Uh, Takiyama number one, uh, Masato Tanaka number two, what? Ben Benoit number three, Steve Austin number four, and For would you like to, yeah, number five, Triple H. Oh God, awful. Num- Just awful number list. six. Number six is insane. Tommy Dreamer, 2002, <laughs> as best brawler. So, I mean, I've seen pretty much all of Tommy Dreamer's stuff from O2, and, you know, the most memorable thing he did was drink some piss. Oh, <laughs> man. Um, Jake, have you ever seen the Takayama Don Fry pride fight? The infamous not, one? But- okay. That, I mean, that's why he won that award. That's in 2002. So, you, you should watch that, but... I, I equate brawling more like in the deathmatch vein, kind of. So, right. I mean, Takiyama did have that like incredible shoot fight, but I don't know if that should win him the Bruiser Brody Awards. I mean, right. that's no, like number eight. Number eight is Brock, which Brock. I mean, what was. I mean, I, I mean, Triple H, like, what was his best brawl? Right. Would you consider Sean at SummerSlam? Like, a brawl? Yeah, like, is he really a brawler? Like, or Brock? I don't really... Benoit, too. Benoit, master. Bruiser Brody Award, D. Malenko. Uh, uh, so, ridiculous. so weird. That is a really weird list, because... I mean, you didn't really have any of those guys like ECW, like the mainstays were, I mean, I guess Tommy Dreamer is still getting <laughs> votes, but like Sandman, you know, that type of ilk right. was kind of out, out to pasture around this time. And like I said, the uh, new deathmatch workers, the Nick Gages, Necro Butcher, Madman Pondo, uh, that type of ilk were just not mainstream enough yet. So it's, it's an interesting time frame. All right, well, we'll do a few more of these because we can we okay. can all night with this. But um, yeah, promotion promotion of the year, uh, Pride. Like, yes, Pride yeah. number two, uh, UFC three, Ring of Honor, which yeah, uh, pretty damn good for Ring of Honor because they just came out. Um, four WWE and five CMLL. Yeah, that so. sounds about right. All right, let's see. Uh, best weekly television show, SmackDown got it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming on the. Uh, SmackDown 6, uh, CML Pro Wrestling Noah, um, which I know you mentioned a minute ago you were getting into at this time, Ohio Valley, and then New Japan. Yeah, I mean, not much. Actually, not much weekly television in 2002, so it's it's a weird thing. 
I mean, with the with the Noah shows, you were mainly getting the big Budokan shows, so wasn't like you were watching weekly. So whatever. All right, we'll do. Uh, let's go. Our last will be Rookie of the Year. So big big year for this guy. Bob Sapp oh. is number one. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Yoshida Christopher Nowinski, which <laughs> um, who is number get my two? Re- Number two is Yoshida. Yoshida. Hidi, Hidi, Hidi Yoshida. I'm unfamiliar. Okay. Uh, Christopher Nowinski. Number four is Maven. Uh, number five, Kotaro Suzuki. Yeah. <laughs> number six. So I'll go a little further because he's next to uh, number six, Nathan Jones. Oh God. And number seven, Nidia. <laughs> so, um, interesting rookie of the uh, year. And uh, last one I'll say is worst television announcer. This is a lock. Uh, Jerry Lawler <laughs> ran away. Well, with this let's one. do. Uh, I want to do two more. Yeah. Always my favorite. okay. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, oh my God. So <laughs> yeah, Yoshida was a pride fighter. He was a Judica. So that's stupid. Right. Uh, do match of the year. I know what the match of the year was. It was the okay. No Mercy tag, but give me the, uh, the top yeah, so five on that. Let's see. Okay. So, worked match of the year. We have, uh, yeah, the No Mercy one. Uh, number two would be Tenru versus Kojima uh, mm, from Osaka. From February. Yeah. Uh, yes. And then we have Triple H versus Sean at SummerSlam. Uh, Muda versus Kawada. From uh, Tokyo in February. Okay. And then number five would be American Dragon versus Low Key. Yeah, from uh, uh, March 30th or 31st. Correct. March. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, I mean, that's so 2002 is a weird like match of the year. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that Low Key versus American Dragon would probably be my choice. I had it five stars last time I watched. Um, Japan or Lucha didn't really help a blow-away um, match of the year candidate. Um, really, for U.S.-wise, uh, WWE-wise, I mean, I, th- I think history has shown that probably Hogan versus Rock would be the match of the year, just because that's a match that seemed to have stayed mm-hmm. the test of time, but... Not not a in in uh, in the direct aftermath. That's not really an observer match of the year uh, match at all. Right, right. So um, yeah. the other one that I wanted to see was uh, the most disgusting promotional tactic. I had a feeling that. that's where you're going to yeah, go. So I had yeah. I, I just pulled it up. So <laughs> number one, I mean, no surprise here is going to be Katie Vick <laughs> in the ne- necrophilia. Yes. Um, it got triple digit votes as to every other one got single and double digit votes. So 389 and number two got 34. So Katie Vick just blow out. Uh, number two is HLA. Number three, New Japan using uh, China going over men. Uh, TNA, um, uh, we can put over a TNA. TNA's gay bashing angle and TNA using Owen Hart's name on air. Nice. I mean, what, I don't know why. I, I can't even remember the uh, concept of that. But, yeah, I, I figured Katie Vick, uh, yeah, worthy, worthy number one. There. I also like that sandwich in between, to, to, to round this out here, 
So then we have WWE using 9-11 anniversary to build heat, which I remember <laughs> that. And then sandwiched between like that and uh, TNA gay bashing, and then number eight, TNA using race for heat, is <laughs> WWE giving giving Hogan the title. <laughs> it's a tick above TNA yeah. using race and uh you know, gay bashing. I know. I always, always like the more simpler, like some of them you look at from like the eighties, yeah, like, which were a little problem. You know, that was a problematic <laughs> time. But like the winner would be like Bob Backlund, still WWF champion. It's right, like, oh, right. wow. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> offensive racist angle, or you know, giving Hogan the title. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I was, I was, I was literally watching a, a world class episode on Peacock where uh, Ken Mantell was wrestling, and on commentary they were just openly talking about how he is a uh, cockfighting ringleader and uh, a prized, <laughs> a prized cockfighting champion. And Jason, and Jay saw the uh, the football player that was an announcer at World Class. He he went to the University of South Carolina. And he was even like, you know, I'm a proud Gamecock, so that makes me proud. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Like he's killing them. <laughs> it's, it's like that tank Michael Vick's career. <laughs> this guy's getting praised on television. Right, he's <laughs> huge baby face, Ken Mantell. <laughs> Well, so as we transition into these shows, we'll see because um, they might have some early front runners already. As <laughs> yes. we get to oh this my first God. week! I thought uh, I was getting ripped when you asked me for this this week right, of shows. So, uh, right. So I have. I did not know we had going in, but it is the go home week to Royal Rumble. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if they stumble or go in um, <laughs> with a head of steam in the Royal Rumble. So. Well, we'll start. We'll get into it. So this would be the January thirteenth, two thousand three, Raw, and the the big story going into this is that Vince is going to make his first appearance in quite a while. I guess to give a bit of a um, evaluation of Eric's work here, and so he opened the show with Eric wanting to impress Vince. Eric's look here was very um, like rich dad going to his like edgy rich dad going to his kids <laughs> like um, you know art show or something like at school mm. after work. He had on his khakis and his like. He had one of those like weathered leather coats that's kind of brown looking. Um, mm-hmm. A very Eric Bischoff look. Um, it, it was. It was definitely a choice. Uh, it definitely <laughs> looked 2003. But right. He was rocking it. But he, he's got a lot going on because Vince is coming. Then he finds out here that the refs want to strike because of the abuse they've been taking, <laughs> and then Scott Steiner comes up to him and says that he wants Triple H tonight. Uh, but they're going to have a bench press contest, but Steiner is tired of all these games. So just sort of setting the stage for all these different pieces that we have in motion tonight with um, Vince coming, the bench press contest, which will continue the trend of these non-contact Scott Steiner, Triple H um, confrontations. And then the rest, which the ref thing doesn't really end up, they mentioned the beginning of the show, but it really doesn't make much of a difference in the show now that I think about it. No, like I was wondering about that. Um, like I said, I haven't watched any of these TVs, so I didn't know if that had been a prevailing theme uh, or no. what. But yeah, it's always nice when you hear Hebner's accent because uh, <laughs> right. someone that gets ridiculed, uh, both both people on this call get ridiculed from time to time for their accent. It's uh, nice to have a fellow uh, North Carolina Southern accent with Earl. Right. I feel like we're, uh, I'm trying to think of something like, um, 
um, eloquent speaker, but I feel like I would be compared to Earl. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like Winston Churchill compared to Earl Hebner. <laughs> but, uh, all right, but we're going to open it. Open it. Our first match is going to be a um, a triple threat women's hardcore match. How about that? Between Jackie, Victoria, and Trish. Um, continue the trend of them not really knowing what to do with Trish and um, Victoria in the whole women's division. So they just throw them out here in random matches. Uh, Victoria tears up a Trish poster to start, uh, I guess, to show that she disapproves of Trish. Uh, we get lots of Stevie on the outside through this whole match. He, uh, he, uh, he screws up trying to throw in the um, the kendo stick in, and Trish ends up getting it and hammers him and hits uh, Victoria with it, which gets a nice pop. Um, they kind of just brawl around with weapons and stuff. Uh, Stevie ends up cracking Trish with a pan, and that ends up ending the match um, as Trish takes the uh, the pin here. Barely even a match. Like I thought this could have had some legs if it had any kind of time. Like the the match at SummerSlam when they had that kind of hardcore, or I'm sorry, Survivor Series when they had kind of yeah. hardcore brawl was pretty solid. But I mean, this really didn't have any time to do anything. I felt the only point of this was maybe to just kind of get Trish over as like her toughness and continue to push that she's, you know, she's not just good look, she's tough and all that. And uh, to me, that was the only point of this. I, I want to star on it because it just it just wasn't a whole lot of there to this one, Chad. Yeah, a star for me too. A weird, kind of a weird spot for this, I thought, just mm-hmm. because like we're beyond the strict TNA error for some of the ladies um you know and trish stratus and victoria can go i think this match kind of shows that like jackie's a look like they're a little bit beyond her skill wise as well um but so you have that so that's a little bit of progression but then they do this kind of random hardcore match which felt like a holdover from the 99 2000 al snow you know trash cans full of crap kendo sticks etc uh, you also have King being horny and annoying on commentary, just completely mm. grating uh, throughout all this. And the other thing I didn't like was at the end, the heat was more on Stephen Richards and Hurricane, which felt like a kind of non-starter. Like I felt like Trish and Victoria should have been presented as the biggest stars of this match and had the most heat and the most like upside. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of backwards that we still went to a more heated kind of altercation between Steven and hurricane. So this, this didn't exactly get the show off to the best start for me. No, it's a good point. Yeah. Like still they're going to, they have Trish after the match and they're going to like beat her with the cane and hurricane comes to the, the rescue, which was real random, I guess the only like he's a superhero, I guess is the only real, <laughs> yeah. but he hasn't been affiliated at all. And to your point, it's not like these are two guys who are like, well, yeah, they're going to get Trish over like these two stars. Like Trish is definitely more over probably than Stevie or the Hurricane. So it's not even like they're putting them in there with like big time people. It's just it's it's been a common problem for them. It's like you could tell they just don't trust them to carry it on their own. Yeah. Even though when they have given them a chance, they've done well, but they just can't seem to just leave them be ever. Yeah. It's like they could have pulled the trigger on Trish and Victoria 
And there was enough female talent around the U.S. at this time with, like, you know, Allison Danger and even Alexis Lurie, uh, you know, Mickey James was starting to come up, that you could have had a, you know, decent to good division that could have been something different, and they just didn't quite know which direction to go to. I will say, like, you know, right now, like, in in 2022 i'm going through the year 2001 and i'm watching all like worldwide wrestling from the year 20 2001 again and i'm in november and the watching this show it is very tough to see how over some acts were in 2001 compared mm-hmm. to like january 2003 like hurricane here was a prime example like and even steven richards like with the rtc stuff early in 2001 like he had pretty legit heat and both of them here just seemed kind of like has bands a little bit to me right they haven't done a good job it's been a con- especially on raw it's been a common problem of them not really knowing what to do with the undercard and not really right. utilizing people well would agree all right, but someone they have utilized is my old pal Bubba. So we head to him, and he's uh, <laughs> confronting Eric Bischoff about everything that's been going on with them, costing them, uh, you know, all the pretty much targeting them on his recent reign of terror. He's very New York, I thought, here, Bubba. Um, I know he pushes that a lot, but here he was very like, New York Bubba. It's like, my little brother. You hurt my little brother. <laughs> like, he was very pushing the, the New York. Uh, uh, he sounded very much New Yorker here, but uh, they start. Uh, they kind of get into it and actually start beating up Chief Morley here until security <laughs> comes and pulls them away. Uh, and I do what I have liked about this whole thing in Eric's recent reign of terror is that they've they had had more of this where I feel like in the past they would have had their little, you know, back and forth on the mic and it would just end there. I do like they're adding a little more action to this and maybe a little more spontaneity by having things become more physical out of nowhere. Uh, Eric ends up suspending them, but I have liked the. I guess a little bit more chaos that it's brought in energy to some of this, having the, uh, it get physical sometimes. Yeah. I thought this was okay. Um, I like that, uh, you know, Eric and media, uh, was just going to fire them right away mm-hmm. and then realize they could just go to SmackDown. <laughs> so he's like, no, <laughs> you're suspended. So I, d- I did like that. that. Like in the heat of the moment, he was ready to just fire them and pull the trigger. But then when, you know, he thought better of it. So, thought that was a decent touch uh yeah overall i didn't have a problem with this yeah it was fine all right we will now go into the uh ruthlessly aggressive podcast um lvp carousel uh tag team <laughs> match which is going to be uh Tested maven versus d the recently uh heel d and chris nowinski um <laughs> i would describe this as smashing together a c-level feud and a d-level feud as uh, Testin, <laughs> I guess Testin D'Lo is the C-level, and then Maven Nowinski, but uh, definitely not top-tier stuff. Uh, pretty basic tag stuff to start here. I did think the rolling spinebuster by Nowinski was uh, a pretty solid little booth. I didn't mind that. A lot of, um, like you mentioned, uh, King pivots here from the horny jokes during the women's match, oh. these corny, corny college jokes, saying that he uh, still kind of on the horny side, too, though. He says he has a Ph.D. in SEX. So, uh, and, uh, I was just thinking that I was like, you're like two years younger than Al Wilson, probably here. King maybe settle <laughs> yeah. down. But, uh, 
But uh, Tess wakes it up a bit. I thought he was kind of the highlight here. When he comes in, he brings some fire with the power moves. Um, I'll, I'll say, right, he hits the test drive, which I did not call it by its proper name. Uh, our pal Marcus was uh, sure to reach out to me to make sure I called the uh, test drive correctly. So thanks, Marcus. Um, he misses the boot, ends up flying out the ring. D'Lo goes for the sky high, but D'Lo is not the legal man. He gets pissed off at Nick Patrick. He confronts him, which allows Tess to recover and comes in and uh, finishes him off with the boot. But uh, I thought it was kind of mad, but the last minute or so, I thought it picked up. Like it got a little fun once Tess got in there and brought some energy to it. So I gave it a, a good old gentleman's too, maybe a bit generous, but I did enjoy it a bit once Tess got in there and sort of brought things to life for me, Chad. Yeah, you were a little more generous than me. I want a right. star and a half. Um, right. I thought I was being a little generous with that. Um, the right. testicle stuff is just brutal. Um, Stacy stuck with this loser uh, doesn't help. Um, I, I mean, I mean, yeah, King is. 54 i looked it up around this time and stacy you forget how young she was she was 23 so it's just oh it's my just, god it's gross and weird it's just oh it was bad um and then maven and the whiskey um you kind of knew what they were gonna be by this point mm-hmm. i think um so that is uh Unfortunate. Uh, D'Lo, I did not think, looked very good at all. And um, mm-hmm. overall, I just thought this was a uh, a pretty poor match and really signified that the undercard here was not great overall at this point. Yep. Yeah, when you have Test, uh, Test with his testicles as a star, the most over guy in the match, it's probably... You know, we have to watch though. Let's not upset Marcus with our test date. <laughs> is, is he a big testicles? Um? Uh, I, I think he is. I'll, I a, mean, a testicles trooper? <laughs> he may be. He okay. may be. Oh, my Lord. All right. All right. We head to the back, Eric. Uh, has the, a limo pulls up. He believes <laughs> it's going to be Vince, but it's Mean Gene, who's here for a. Uh, the Raw 10th Anniversary show that's going to be tomorrow. Uh, and then he gets a great line to Eric saying that maybe if Eric didn't suck at his job, it would be the Nitro 10th Anniversary. <laughs> it's a great uh, great little Gene jab there. But um, did you – we can talk about it now. They'll have highlights of it later. But did you have any memory of this? I had no memory of this Raw 10th. Like, it looks like it was almost like an award ceremony, like Slammy sort of deal with, like, highlights from Raw over the past few years. I had no memory of that show. Me either. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely zero memory of this. And I got worried because I watched SmackDown first. It was just it was easier to find that season on Peacock. So I, I was watching that first and when they showed the package of all that raw X stuff, I was like, Oh my god, is raw just like a slammy award and like no action or what? Um so yeah, I had no memory that I guess it aired like on USA, yeah. right? Like so that's interesting. Um it's probably on YouTube or something, but yeah, it was pretty good. I mean it looked cool. I mean I like I thought this was a good cameo to have Gene back. Um, mm-hmm. a good use of him. Yeah, there's less entertaining ways they could have plugged their all tenth. But yeah, I want to say they said it would have aired the night after this, like on the Tuesday. Yeah, um, I think they said it was airing on Tuesday because uh, they showed when they later on when they show the the world they show the uh, SmackDown stars mingling. So. <laughs> 
All right, we had to Jericho. He's got a gripe for Eric Bischoff. R- rough night for Eric here. Everybody's on his ass as he's waiting for Vince to come in, probably give him some shit. But uh, Jericho tells him that he wants to be number one in the Rumble, stemming from the whole um, altercation with Sean. And uh, Eric gives him the chance to have a top rope challenge match and doesn't really necessarily say he's going to get anything out of it, but just says it'll be kind of like a warm up for the Rumble and he can prove himself and yada yada. So I assume a top rope challenge match is going to be like a watered down version of a Rumble situation. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, appeared to be that way when he announced it. All right. We now go to uh, William Regal, who is reading King's recently released book and uh, <laughs> completely buries it. He's, <laughs> this is amazing. He says um, he's just whining about his wives, leaving him his kids hating him. <laughs> That's what Regal's passage from the book. And he says that he will make him pay tonight. So um, uh, a way for them to plug King's book and then put over at this following match with Regal and King, because they have, of course, had this whole deal happening since the whole uh, Oklahoma City um, match that they had with King and JR. Uh-huh. Okay. I, I didn't know if this was a long-standing feud or what. But, uh, couple okay. weeks. Couple Got weeks. it. Got <laughs> it. A little, little shorty. Okay. Right. Regal and Stormer have become um, like Eric's de facto lackeys. Gotcha. Gotcha. And it's crusade against King and JR. But So that is why uh, William Regal is going to be facing Jerry the King Lawler right here. So um, Regal again reads a passage from the book before the match about Lawler being a king in the ring, but a court jester in the bedroom. <laughs> Which is, uh, it's, it's always good. Someone that had legal issues that he's put right. in mm-hmm. his autobiography. And we just heard him be real horny on commentary for two matches so far. So real a real good way of getting... <laughs> Lawler over as the big baby face with uh, what we've seen so far. Right. Uh, a man that has had issues with, you know, accusations of sexual misconduct. We want to make yes. sure we really yes. push over, put over how corny he is and <laughs> that his book is all about him being horny and right, he has right. a PhD in SEX, right? <laughs> um, so before the match, the uh, <laughs> the officials confiscate the Nucks from both Regal and Storm, mm-hmm. um, which gets Storm ejected. And then, meanwhile, King is waiting in the ring, and he has a chain, so trying to beat Regal at his own game. Knocks out Regal, but the ref catches him with it and ends up ringing the bell and gives the decision to Regal. Uh, but King just declares himself the winner. So, uh, yeah, I didn't even write this chain. <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> yeah. this as a match. I mean, so, so uh, as, as a... Uh... Is a slave to the spreadsheet. If the bell rings, I count it as a match. So, uh, right. yeah, I, I half a star. <laughs> I mean, it was this. This was pretty Memphis. Um, I mean, these two. You actually look at it on paper, and it's like mm-hmm. one of those weird quasi dream matches. I mean, these are two of my top one hundred greatest wrestlers ever, and uh, I didn't know they'd had a match together. So I was like, "Oh, well, maybe we'll get a nice, tidy, you know, five six minute match." I wasn't expecting a lot, but uh, I got even less of that <laughs> with what they did here. Um, yeah, and I don't know because this—I mean, this never makes it to pay per view, right? So I don't even know what the resolution is for for uh, this one. So we'll see. Yeah, I don't really get there's so many times when I'm watching these and they have Regal and he comes out to face someone and I'm like, oh, this could be interesting. And it it ends up being like 90 seconds long or something like this. Yeah, and it's always 
I'm like, could we just give them, like, to your point, it would be kind of fun to just see them go at it for a few minutes just to see, you know, what it would, you know, how they would do it. But right. instead, we just get this. Felt a little bit like a waste of time. Like, uh, definitely, definitely felt like a waste of time with what we got. Right. All right. So as the uh, the undercard on here can uh, is floundering a bit, as it does from time to time on Raw, we'll go to our next match, which is going to be a returning Raven out of nowhere. Like, he was like, I don't remember if he was fired or he was, uh, I don't know if he was fired or just like relegated to only Sunday night heat. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So I did some cage match research on this um, uh-huh. because when he comes out there, King acts like he's seen a ghost. So definitely he's not, <laughs> he's not tuning into heat. We know that um, because he's like, oh, Raven cut his hair. Is that Raven? It's like, good Lord. Because um, I looked it up. I was like, well, you know, when was he on television? And then I looked and seen he'd been on plenty of heats in the past uh, eight months. But he did lose. Uh, it was a loser leaves Raw match on June yes. 24th, way back when. So he had not been on Raw since June 24th when he appeared here. Right. I knew he got like exiled or something and <laughs> yeah. something had happened a while back. But he's going to be facing uh, Jeff Hardy. And he's got an entirely new look here. Um, he, it's like Raven in the short trunks, which is... Uh, kind of troubling. I don't know. It was a, <laughs> it's weird to see him in this late, you know, this later, like post WCW, um, him yeah. in the short trunks and all he's, he look, and he's got all the tattoos. He looks like a, um, he's like a, a thicker Malachi black or something. <laughs> House of black. Um, right. Yeah. Well, so like, and I knew that, from the TNA never die stuff and from like indie stuff that he does coming up. Like Mm -hmm. I was shocked to see him come out here and I was like, Oh, what is this? And, um, I knew by like March time, he'd went to the like kilt look and let his hair grow out a little bit. So I was like, what happened here? Um, I mean, this is his last match. Like he's, he shows up in TNA directly right after this with his 30 day non-compete. So, so, I mean, this, this is like his last televised match. This is it for him. Uh, he was on like a W the WWA show. <laughs> and then like, uh, like a couple weeks after this. So it's, it's, uh, it's a random thing because these, I mean, these are like two, uh, these are two guys synonymous with 2003 Ring of Honor, like Raven with the Punk feud and Jeff Hardy's infamous appearance in July uh, at the Rex Plague. So, so seeing them in this match was just bizarre. Like this was just a bizarre match. Well, the thing is, like, too, the way he comes out, like Raven comes out here, it's not just like, oh, here's Raven. It looks like he's like being repackaged for like to set him up for some kind of new <laughs> run or something, like. Yeah, I kind of want to see some of the Sunday. I need to do maybe a little bit of a YouTube dive on Sunday Night Heat Mm. to see if he was wearing this getup on his Sunday Night Heat stuff. But yeah, like by the time he hits the Indies, he's in the kilt and he's let his hair grow out. Like his hair must grow really fast because, I mean, it was grown out a pretty good bit by uh, he has a match with Chris Hero at the end of March in IWA Mid-South. So like by then, um, he's fully into that type of gimmick look or whatever aesthetic that he carries throughout that whole year on the Indies. So, so random. I have to consult my uh, Sunday night heat expert, uh, Ryan Gray, see if he could give me the scoop. 
Um, Let's look at the spreadsheets and see. <laughs> right. Yeah. I get Ryan to consult his spreadsheets. But uh, uh, apparently whoever wins this gets to be in the Rumble. Uh, but so the match itself, you're getting some limb work here with Raven, Chad. He's uh, he's going all after Jeff's leg in this one. So all of this was just interesting. Like just him with a new look and then he's like trying to dissect the leg. It was, it was strange. But I didn't mind it. I thought he was... Like, I kind of liked his urgency in this match. Like, I I felt like this was better than it had any right to be. I didn't think it was particularly great. Like, it's just kind of Raven going after his leg for a while, and then Jeff makes his comeback and wins with Swanton. But uh, I thought Jeff was okay in this. He didn't look super-duper sloppy, and I thought Raven brought some decent energy. So I still only went two on it, but if you would have told me this match at this point, I could have easily saw it being like, being like a disaster. And I did not think it was. Um, I don't know what okay. you thought, Chad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I went two stars too. Um, right. It was it was a, it was a weird match. I thought um, again, mm-hmm. like just seeing them out there was weird. Raven, his his leg work was solid, but mm-hmm. Jeff pretty much ignores that. Like he, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's actually one of the one of the cases where a botch actually helps the narrative of the match, where he goes to run up the ropes for his whisper in the wind, and he trips and then he starts like <laughs> like raven pins him and like he starts selling the leg a little bit before so i was like oh okay that actually helped um because <laughs> you've been actually ignoring- his leg. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like you've been ignoring it right up to then but you know good on you for kind of doing that but immediately he kind of does the swan tom right after that and gets the pin so i mean that was fine like i, I this is an interesting match though because i mean i don't know going in like they say it's for a spot at the rumble you know uh, if you were not a frequent sunday night he watcher <laughs> this is a new raven so you might think like oh yeah he's being repackaged they might have some plans for him this is like his new beginning uh, but like i said like he's jobbed out here and then he's gone so it's it's a weird it's a weird way to kind of write him off yeah the the whole thing is strange especially yeah. you telling me that he's going to be gone almost immediately <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's- his his, his cage match around this time is completely wild like to look it up it's like oh wow what, what, what was going on that's the ruthless aggression error for you yeah all for right sure. <laughs> but uh all right we find out that Vinny is here uh Vinny mac is here and uh, he walks to the limo and of course he sees randy orton gives him a pat on the shoulder so <laughs> randy orton already the golden child oh, early on <laughs> so so young looking like his haircut yeah. So 2003. Um, mm-hmm. Very uh, Josh Hartnett. Yeah, yeah. That's my my comp always for this airport. And, okay. Um, to add to the strange thing, like we just had oh that strange match. God. Now we get the, this Sean O'Hara like <laughs> vignette where it's like him is like a weird, almost like motivational speaker or something. He tells us to treat ourselves. He's in a trench coat. And I could not tell this whole time – it seemed like he was either talking about jacking off or having an affair, and I couldn't really uh, tell which one. I, I didn't I know which having one. Having the affair. So this was the first one of these that had aired. I didn't know if this had been a yeah, yeah. Current. This was okay. Yeah. This this was <laughs> wild. Like he was like, <laughs> like like it was cut in a weird way, and 
you know, you had like these buzzwords popping up yeah. around him, and he was like, "Indulge your inner desires." <laughs> it was like, right, right. it was like, what? Now, how does that translate to a wrestling character? Like, it was. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like, God, like, I mean, I guess, like, it's it's the occupational stuff with WWF is always strange. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I get that. Like, I mean, you know, I grew up in the early '90s, so I, you know, somebody that does your taxes but also wrestles and is tied, and <laughs> you know, a repo man being a wrestler, yeah, I mean, that's weird too. But this was just like. What are you saying? Like, it it felt like shock value just for shock value, but I I had no idea where this was headed. And I don't remember, I had no recollection Uh, of this at all either. So, really weird. And and this is how I feel like, you know, I've said it since we started the pod, but 2002 is sort of, you're still seeing it's a transitional year. And now, like, starting to get this stuff. I feel like we're really starting to get into this next era where they're just trying to like throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. So they just, and then they're very much <laughs> trying to do like weird kind of shock stuff, like with the, the Katie Vick stuff and Al Wilson and now these like Sean O'Hare. I don't know if he's ever even, I don't think I've ever talked about him on the podcast ever, <laughs> like since I started this and now he's just out of nowhere telling me to indulge myself. It's G- giving just, you a free pass. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very strange. We'll see. Oh, and like, man. it would not shock me if that's like the only thing we ever see and nothing ever happens. Like, it would not even. Oh man, what a, this, <laughs> this has to be one of the more forgotten strange things. Like, I because I yeah I had no recollection of this and it was just utterly bizarre. So right, I might have to get start doing the dropped angles thing like you guys do on. <laughs> yeah, did, did, this feels like a prime <laughs> error for it. Because, I mean, you right. think about it, like, you think about how much we'd seen, like, this was the first hour of this show, and this is, like, the weird show where we're six days out from Royal Rumble, and they keep, like, debuting a lot of new things, right. or continuing angles that are not really relevant or relevant to the pay-per-view. Right. So, it's it's one of those weird shows where, I mean, this is almost straight out of the TNA playbook around this time where like everything has happened in this first hour and yet nothing's happened. That really right. matters. Very unfocused. And it's, yeah. it's a common issue on raw, like it, especially this first hour. And like a lot of the undercard stuff just feels so meandering. They have no idea where they're trying to go with any of this. Right. And it's right. All right. So we head to the Dudleys who uh, get to the ring before Vince uh, Vince heads out, I should say, um, gets the Vince reaction. The Dudleys uh, head out to the ring before Vince can even start talking. Uh, they apologize. Very uh, polite to Vince. They apologize for interrupting, but they start to air their grievances with Eric and how he's been torturing them. Uh, Vince quickly reinstates them. Um, so undermining Eric <laughs> and says that the Rumble, they will face Storm and Regal. And Vince wants Devon to get the tables at the Rumble. So kind of sucks for Booker T and Goldust. They're just kind of getting shoved under the rug a bit. Yeah, you know? I mean, this felt like a pretty thrown-together uh, tag title match for the pay-per-view. But, uh, okay, there it is. Vince rules, so he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, this whole segment is going to be Vince like, coming in a week before the Rumble and <laughs> laying everything out. <laughs> right. As uh, now Jericho comes out, yeah. um, and so the whole the thing they're doing here is every Vince has something he wants to get out, and these guys keep interrupting him. So now Jericho's next. He rambles about wanting to be number one. 
Vince tells him to shut up and says he can pick any number he wants if he wins tonight. Uh, if he wins the top rope challenge or whatever the hell they called it, except one because Shawn Michaels has already taken number one and then pretty much tells uh, Jericho to piss off. So second thing that uh, Vince is putting in <laughs> place here. And I guess they're trying to push that like he's getting it done because Eric doesn't know what he's doing or something like that. Yeah, I mean, the narrative seemed that he was a little more decisive than Bischoff, mm. I think. So that was okay. Um, again, this to me, we'll get to the stuff of Bischoff, but overall I did feel this was a little scattered brain, just the constant interruptions, uh, was, was strange. I mean, like there was like this big line forming behind the curtain to run out <laughs> <Right>. there, <laughs> right. see Vince. So. Right. So next is going to be Eric because, uh, Vince seems like he's finally getting to his point, but Eric interrupts him again. And so he he pivots and says, uh, Vince does, and says that since Eric is here, he's going to give him his eval. So <laughs> Eric is going to get his yearly eval. Uh, the crowd says that uh, that Eric sucks, but uh, he <laughs> questions the crowd. Vince says that Eric has done a good job, but Vince expects a great job. And that, he's, <laughs> that he expected an insane Vince line. He expected him to uh, choke raw and make it cough up a phlegm that would spew. So, um, apparently he has not been ruthlessly aggressive enough for no. Vince's liking. Uh, but anyway, he gives him 30 days to turn raw around. And the strangest thing to me about all this is like, I feel like they're making a storyline about how raw has been kind of not that great in the past six months or so. It's yep. just a weird thing to like, <clears throat> like that the show has been kind of mediocre and they're like turning that into a storyline. It's just very odd. Like to call your own show kind of bad. <laughs> This this is the prickly path you have with a heel authority figure like Eric as the general manager is when you want him to be trumped by someone, um, you can kind of go like the power hungry route or the route they went here, which yeah, I mean they basically had to bury them <laughs> bury their own show where like Vince, you know, in in as many words said. Oh, it's been all right, but you got to turn it around or in 30 days you're out of here. So, I mean, this is like, you know, he basically said like that, you know, and been the best and been the best show. So it's it's a weird uh, it's kind of a weird flex from a overarching standpoint, for sure. Right, because in reality, I mean, Vince is the guy in charge, so it's like a weird like Vince telling himself he needs to turn around. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Strange. I don't know. But anyway, in 30 days, they're going to have a public assembly. And if Eric doesn't deliver, he's fired. So we have a time. And Vince is still presenting himself as a face here, too. Like, oh, yeah, 100%. Full, full face. So, I mean, we're right at the Rumble. So I, I was surprised to see that as well, knowing what happens at Mania. So that was interesting as well. Right, so it's right because all the stuff he did before Eric comes out, he's like doing the whole give the people what they want, like right. get the Dud- yeah. Dudleys their match, uh, set up the Jericho Sean thing for the Rumble. Right, so all right, so Eric's got to turn around after the break. We go backstage and Eric Bischoff asks Vince who would even replace him, and Shane McMahon walks oh. out of the limo. So definitely getting some uh, in case of fire, break the McMahon glass here. Um, <laughs> As the ratings have been getting a little sketchy, they're bringing yeah. the fans back out. <laughs> yeah, gotta 
got to wheel them out to see if that can move the needle for sure. All right. Anyway, all right, we'll head back to the ring now after that whole deal, which was quite long, I have to say, too. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll head to the our next match, which is going to be Booker T versus Lance Storm, because as I mentioned earlier, even though the Dudleys are getting the tag match, really Storm and Regal still kind of have a simmering deal with uh, Booker T and Goldust after screwing them out of the titles. Um, um, some good strikes here wearing each other down, I thought, but we quickly get to... Uh, Regal hitting Booker T with the belt. The Dudleys run out, and it's over. Like, this is another one. It's a trend on this show where it's like these matches. Like, I thought for the few minutes they had, I thought they, you know, laid in some good strikes. I mean, these are two guys that could go. I thought they were good together. But, I mean, the match lasted all of, I don't know, just a couple minutes before we got in the shenanigans with Regal with the belt and the Dudleys running out. Like, it just felt like they never could really get past the feeling out part of this match. And I just... Made me think that it just kind of sucks that Booker T and Goldust seem to be the third wheels here because to me they're the most over team out of any of them and kind of the one I the team I enjoyed most out of these three and now they're kind of being put on the back burner so I ended up going to star in the match like I said just not enough to, not that what they did wasn't good but just not enough time to really cook yeah I mean I I gave it another two star special I mean I agree mm-hmm. with what you said though um, the ref bump here was awful mm-hmm. uh hebner was <laughs> like barely <laughs> crazed and then uh and then goes down in a heap and the finish was poor too where it's like you got booker t and Goldust, but then you got the dudleys in the actual match so again didn't feel very focused so overall i, I did enjoy the match we got it just mm-hmm. wasn't like you said it wasn't long enough to really be anything else so it was fine and and it's it's always hard not to compare them, but it's just I feel like on SmackDown this just gets a few more minutes to let them sort of do a little bit more and make it a little bit more entertaining most of the time. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it, but I thought mm-hmm. it was very jarring on these two shows mm-hmm. that even the mid card, undercard, really insignificant stuff on SmackDown. Just mm-hmm. had a little more juice and a little more like work rate stuff to sink your teeth into compared to Raw. And I know that's like the, like that's the kind of, I would say like the wrap around this era that, you know, like 2002, mm-hmm. 2003, like SmackDown, yay, we're all boo. Um, but I mean, some weeks, like, I mean, like last, uh, the last episode I listened to when you had Grooney on, I mean, you, you rank the shows the same. So mm-hmm. I, I was, I was kind of, uh, optimistic, I would say, heading into the Raw, but um, yeah, didn't, didn't right. <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't uh, get a good, good uh, pick right. and draw here. Yeah, this is this is Raw falling into all its horrible habits of having a thousand worthless undercard matches with people who, especially when you're going into a pay-per-view, you have all, they always do better when they focus more time on the big stuff that they have going on here and kind of shy away from these having you know, 10 90 second matches and they're falling right into that this week. Unfortunately, unfortunately for you, Chad, as a <laughs> lucky as, me, <laughs> right? So we're going to get hurricane and Stevie, uh, coming mm. out for another one of these. So this is going off of what happened earlier. Trish is with hurricane and Victoria, of course, with Stevie Trish has the cane based on what happened earlier. Like I said, um, um, th- this is like the hurricane, 
match special where he gets a couple minutes, but he always is, you know, works in a few cool moves. He hits that uh, top rope neck breaker. That was pretty cool. And he ends up winning with the uh, eye of the hurricane. Stevie didn't do a whole lot in this one, but just another match that just didn't really have a whole lot of time. I always like seeing hurricane come in and do his stuff. Cause he always, like I said, he always throws in a few good. It's like, I just always feel like he knows he doesn't have a lot of time. And he's like, you know what? I know they're only giving me two minutes, but I'm going to do some cool shit in the time I have. So uh star and a half for me, Chad. Yeah, star and a half. Now, this, I mean, this legit went 90 seconds. <laughs> like, this, right. was, this was as quick as it could be. Um, Steven, like I said in the opener uh, with the women, he was presented as like this menacing person. And then when he comes out here, uh, Ross calls him goofier than a pet coon. So it's, uh, he's kind of all over the place, too. And then Hurricane makes quick work of him. So there's that. Yeah. Not too much. Yeah, it was more to get to the post match where they we have a little bit of a scrum with everyone um, right. fighting, and Trish ends up knocking out Victoria with the cane, and um, it kind of seems like they're aligning her with Hurricane now. Hurricane's going to be her pal, uh, I guess, because uh, her former pal, the Dudleys, have bigger fish to fry now. So because you know she can't be on her own, wouldn't want that. <laughs> and weird. All right, we get a Nathan Jones promo oh. here. Uh, where we see more, we see more of him um, in what appears to be a prison. And the main takeaway here, his line is that uh, time has a way on the mind. So I, guess, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, well, I mean, compared to the Sean O'Hare stuff, like this looked like you know True. high art. I mean, this was this was your kind of traditional. I mean, this this at least mm-hmm. felt like a wrestling gimmick that right. you would see. So. I mean, we, we yeah. know what happens in actualization, but as far as the build, this was okay, I thought. Yeah, like just said, he's a prisoner, and I guess he spent time, and now he's kind of, <laughs> maybe it's yeah. warped his mind or something. Right. It's, it's, I mean, it's a little different, but again, compared to Sean O'Hare, like this is as textbook as you can get in presenting a character, so... That's weird. Um, they run down the they run down the rumble card here, but we'll probably mm-hmm. we can talk about it when we get to SmackDown that we can sure. get the full rundown. And we will go to our bench press contest here. So again, the latest non-contact Triple H Big Papa Pump deal. Uh, Big Papa Pump has the mic, which I was excited for because he didn't get it last time. Uh, he says tonight he's running the show and he's not going to let Triple H, um, you know, have <laughs> rain on this. Uh, and he tells the guys to put 585 on the rack. It's <laughs> a great line. Yeah. 585. He's like, we'll we'll start out at 585. I was like, oh my god. Like King marks out. He's like, is he serious? You know, that was just one good line. <laughs> but Triple H comes out and he does not look ready for exercise, as it's pointed out in commentary. He's in a suit. He says he doesn't care about any of this. So you know, Steiner's finally going to run the show. Gets the mic. And Triple H just comes out and craps all over it and says, it all has been games and uh, that he hasn't taken any of this seriously. Everything we've been watching the last few weeks, <laughs> wasting our time. But uh, he says, all these guys, Austin Rock Taker, he gives a whole list of guys that all thought they could knock him off, but he's the best, et cetera, et cetera. I am that damn good. You know, the whole deal. Um, but Steiner fires back at him, said he doesn't want to wait. And they actually lay hands on each other, which they haven't been – they are not supposed to do. Steiner hits him with a belly to belly. Not a huge crowd reaction, though. I thought for, you know, how much they kind of been holding back on the physicality between these two, I thought the crowd would maybe be more into it when Steiner finally got his hands on him. But I felt it was a little muted. 
Um, but he strips Triple H down to his um, to his uh, to his drawers here, <laughs> which I assume, you know, with Triple H, I- I'm thinking, Chad, this has got to be a callback to the the Flare Steamboat thing. Yeah, this yeah. is uh, this Pretty is straight out of the Flare uh, playbook here. Um, you, you had all your Triple H cosplay favorites here, where he gets stripped like <laughs> Flair, he does the Harley race bump in the in the underwear. So. Uh, a lot of Triple H uh, memorial package, even the bench press challenge kind of has the road warriors, you know, mm-hmm. Dusty Rhodes vibe. So, uh, yeah, this, <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> this, this was a little, again, this was an, a, another kind of strange and a little bit off uh, segment on a strange and off edition of Raw um, where the stuff with the bench press was fine, but then they don't do nothing. I mean, once once mm-hmm. Steiner says to hit the 585 and then Triple H comes out, like, that's it. Like, they ignore the bench press after that. And uh, I agree with you. I was a little alarmed at how muted the reaction was when they did get physical with each other. Um, that probably should have been warning signs for this feud mm-hmm. overall. But, uh but we'll see. I mean, I'm interested when you get to the actual match at the Rumble. But uh, as far as like your final lead-in to a world title match, this didn't feel like that hot of a program. Um, Raw, some commentary kept trying to push how embarrassing it was that Triple H was in his weird like underwear. Ba- like this, this was a, Yeah, these were some. <laughs> these were some weird uh, breeze, by the way. Um, yeah. By that, but. Yeah, I mean, the crowd was not too enthused either way. So it, it kind of felt and like, flat. And I get it. They have to sell it. But it is it is always funny with things like this where it's like they're acting like he's nude and it's like 20% more revealing than what he wrestled yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, like, like yeah. Like, like, and he kept, like, Ross kept talking about how he's in his socks. Like, he was like, he's in his socks <laughs> in his drawers. It's like, we're okay. Like, what's the matter? Yeah, yeah. I, I did. Just him. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Well, I, I did like Scott like uh, rip it off the one shoe and like send it in into outer space into the arena. Like he right. chucks that one shoe about as hard as he could. So that was the highlight for me. I was just bummed that we we're finally like really starting to get like crazy Steiner like with the put the five eighty five on the rack and <laughs> all that, and then like Triple H just comes and just like yeah. Just, kills it all by saying all like i would get it if he would have come out and be like no you're not gonna run this like i run the show but instead he just like craps all over the entire build saying it's all just been a big game and i don't know weird choice but maybe my favorite thing about all this was the the image at the end you have uh steiner doing push-ups in the ring while triple h runs off in his underwear <laughs> it's just an incredible image. yeah being held back by officials says, yeah, Steiner was doing push-ups over the uh, world championship belt. So uh, That's been my biggest criticism, <laughs> is that I feel like they did not unleash the, like, insane, weird Scott Steiner <laughs> as much as they should have. He's, he's interesting, though, because, like, I think if you, mm-hmm. like, that character could have worked. I don't think that character works as a, like, world championship, you know, like, baby right. face challenger because that's just too like traditional and confined um mm-hmm. he he he, he could have worked as like more of a special attraction uh mm-hmm. in, in this incarnation like 
Right. I think they thought he could be like what he was at WCW in late 2000 to uh, early 2001. Um, but uh, he was he was a little more cooked by now, so you weren't right. getting that Steiner. Right. All right. So we now go to our main event, which is um, apparently going to be the top rope challenge. And it's going to be RVD versus Kane versus Batista versus Jericho. It. The the whole setup for this is real strange because it is like supposed to be a little mini four man Royal Rumble where they have to throw each other over the top, but the way it's almost presented when they come out, it's like it's going to be a tag match, which I guess is supposed to be worked into the match a bit because like RVD and Kane are just straight up tag partners, and then you know it's kind of implied that Batista is going to be helping Jericho a bit, and it comes through in the match, but. It's just a weird setup for this to because the whole point of the Royal Rumble is you want to get over every band for himself, but then it kind of feels like a tag and it's kind of an odd setup. But um, the whole thing of this is, I mean, it's just like a rumble. But the bad part about this is that it kind of has like the worst parts of the rumble without the parts of the rumble that make it fun in this little, you know, this matchup because a lot of the matches them kind of just awkwardly not awkwardly bro just kind of brawling around the ring kind of trying to eliminate each other eliminate each other but then still sort of trying to get their shit in like it would be a normal match so the whole match i think especially in the early going is a little bit disjointed like you know like they're kind of just pushing each other over the ropes and you know doing the typical rumble tropes but then rvd's coming in and getting the shit in doing his you know rolling thunders and everything um i did like them putting over batista for this like uh jr says that batista is like built for the rumble so i did like them at least you know it we've had kind of lacked on the build to the actual rumble during this entire show so it's good to kind of be reminded of the rumble match itself but uh it's a pretty awesome power bomb on jericho and then we get to elimination kane gets clotheslined out rvd is able to kick batista out and then batista knocks rvd off um which leaves jericho to uh to end up winning it so uh, Jericho wins it. He gets to pick his spot. And of course, he's going to pick number two. So we'll get to how the show, the last thing on the show. But um, I ended up going a star and a half on it, Chad. Like I said, it was just a bit disjointed for me. Just them having to try and work sort of a regular match in this Rumble style in one just kind of fell a little flat. Yeah, I, I think the problem with this is, like you said, it, it, it unfortunately accentuates uh, the worst qualities of the Rumble match itself, which... Um, you know, you hear a lot of times like the Royal Rumble is kind of like pizza. Like even if it sucks, it's still okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that's true. Uh, with the like the anticipation and mm-hmm. kind of the unique pairings and stuff like that. But I think once you really dissect it, and you kind of hear that some with now entering the Royal Rumble uh, with JT and Aaron. Um, I mean, there's a lot of punching and kicking and. Mm-hmm. From a kayfabe standpoint, like the main event of WrestleMania being decided by a a, a battle royal is a little odd as well. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I mean, it, it's a it's it's a little bit weird, and I agree this match was worked a little weird, where it was mostly a tag match uh, until you got the eliminations, which were in rapid fire succession, and then it it really existed just to have Jericho uh, give his ending speech mm-hmm. and to do the ending angle. So it was it was okay, I guess, to get to the Rumble. But again, they didn't feel like there was much juice in the Rumble itself because I wouldn't say Batista, Kane, and RVD felt like 
serious challengers to win the Rumble at all uh, around this time frame. Yeah, it didn't get much time to really build any. And like like you said, because the eliminations are so rapid fire at the end, you don't yeah. really get much time to build to like any suspense. And you kind of know Jericho's going to win it because they want to put him in there with Sean. So, you know, not really the most uh, suspenseful match. So. No. Right. Uh, but anyway, so, of course, Jericho picks number two to face off with Sean. Sean runs down and throws him over the top. And um, that's kind of what we're left with as our last little um, ending to get across. I mean, easily what is the biggest, like, inter-Rumble story that they have going on. Not that they have a whole lot in the Rumble going on, which is maybe a red flag for going for a great Rumble. Because, I mean, the greatest ones, all you always have some things that could happen. I don't know how many strong feuds we have that are going to be in the Rumble, but they kind of highlight that one, which I at least was glad that we got something about the actual Rumble before we left, but that kind of caps us off. So, um, uh, the, so overall thoughts here, Chad? Yeah. Well, yeah, so the ending, I thought, was a little bit of a logic bridge, too, where... You know, Jericho actually actually looks triumphant as a heel, like saying, I want to be number two just to get to you. Um, and, you know, he's just wrestled this match, and John, as the babyface, runs out and, you know, kind of runs down and mm-hmm. attacks him after Jericho's wrestled a match. It felt a little backwards from right. a logic standpoint for me. Um, I mean, overall thoughts on this show, I, I didn't think it was very good at all. I, th- I thought mm-hmm. it was poor. Uh, in ring, I mean, uh, match of the night, I, I don't even know. <laughs> but uh, as far as in ring wise, it wasn't good. And as far as build to the Rumble, I didn't think it was very good. I mean, I would say the most significant thing that came out of here was that Bischoff has 30 days to turn around his shitty show. So that's not very great. <laughs> right. No, I'm with you. Not a strong go home. Didn't focus enough on what, what's happening at the Rumble. And I'd agree on the ending. Like, I mean, I guess their logic would be they want to send the crowd home happy, but I think if Sean just comes out on the ramp and kind of stares down Jericho and kind of says, like, like looks at him like, yeah, look, I got what I wanted. I wanted to face you, number two. Like, you took my bait. Let's do it. I, like, the crowd would pop, I think, just as much for them staring down, know what's coming at the Rumble. Like, I don't think Sean needs to go in there and throw him over the top. That just, <laughs> like you said, just kind of makes Jericho look more like a chump. <laughs> Yeah, so. and, and I mean, for shot, it makes him look like a dick to me. It's like, right. well, this this guy stood up to you, wrestled a match, and then you run out, throw him over the top, and then pose with your pyro. So I was like, oh, good, good for you. Right. But I'm with you. I ended up going four out of ten. Definitely below average. Uh, yeah, four meandering. out of ten for me, too. Yep, yep. It spotlighted a few aspects, but just not focused enough for a good, and like you said, nothing really in ring either to kind of help it. Yep. So. All right. We'll move to SmackDown and see if uh, SmackDown can fare any better. So this would be the January 16th, 03 SmackDown, live from the Meadowlands. Um, we start with a recap of the comedy, the romance, the sexuality, and tragedy of the <laughs> Al and Dawn saga. So just to get you up to speed here, Chad, as they play this, like, mandolin music. All of the music on this episode, particularly, of all the Dawn and Al stuff, was, like, the most ridiculous, over-the-top, melodramatic, like, not even, like, soap opera, like, below <laughs> soap opera level music. <laughs> Yeah, very. Uh, I, I I mean, I did like my notes says uh, days of our lives, but yeah, that's probably mm-hmm. giving it even too much credit. <laughs> it was right. very, very melodramatic. Yeah. 
And then we get at the end of all this, it in, in a memorial for Al Wilson in memory, <laughs> well, 1941 to 2003, <laughs> and an invitation like, uh, you're, you're, like, like after all this, I, I don't, I, I mean, I guess that's weird. To say, I mean, maybe they had to say the funeral would be tonight, but I don't know, like, why Don introduced that. Like, I've never been invited to a funeral before. Like, I'm, <laughs> I've known, you know, you read the obituary and you know what the service is, but it's not like I cordially invite you to the world. <laughs> it's just right. And then it's it kind of it's jarring too because at the end of the last one, they kind of think, oh no, is he going to die? And at the end, they're like, we got a pulse. And then they just show up on this and they're like, oh, here's his funeral. Dead weight. Because it took a dark turn. <laughs> Like I thought he kick, I thought Al kicked out. Yeah, but, yeah, he did. Uh, he did not. He did not kick out at two. He uh, he succumbed. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we see Dawn remote from a uh, what looks like a hotel room or hotel lobby <laughs> or something. She is dressed in all black, even though it's a very provocative outfit. Yeah. Um, showing a lot of skin. She is distraught. She tells us that Al has passed, and that she really did love him. And again, the music here is just so the most <laughs> sappy piano music. And but then she tells us this might be the answer you're looking for, Chad. She says that I'll like the public attention. So tonight they will have a public viewing that we're all invited oh, we to. <laughs> and I was wondering, uh, I wonder if Triple H is going to defile Al Wilson's body. That's, that's his wishes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Al loved the publicity. The man was just what I mean. Loved the camera. <laughs> I mean, why timing-wise do you think all this extracurricular stuff happened right before the Rumble? Do you think they just wanted to get rid of this and they could then bump into the Mania build? or Cause I, That would be... I, I wish I knew. I have no clue. It, it's very strange. Like... Well, and the thing about this one, and we'll get to it as we go, but they've kind of, I mean, they've definitely been heavy on the Dawn and Al Wilson stuff. Yeah. But I feel like on this one particularly, especially given that they're going into the Rumble, I feel like it was, like, took, like, it's kind of been something where it kind of takes up one big segment of the show, and it's like a little side show, and they move on. Where this is like, I feel like that is the focus of this episode. I mean, is this Al is, Wilson's funeral. Yeah, Al, Al Wilson's funeral is a centerpiece of this show, which... Is it's just bizarre. I mean, they do rest. They have a match at Rumble, so I guess it's building to the big blow off at Rumble between <laughs> these two. But it, it was right. w- yeah, wild, a wild, uh, a wild choice. Yeah, what a great. I, I don't get it. It's a good theory, though. Maybe they are just like, okay, we got to get rid of all this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> we got to gear up for mania. for mania. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that's a good theory. But um, we then get to the Guerreros. They do a lot of these, um, like, kind of old-schoolish promos on the show where it's, like, the guys in the back with the uh, kind of, like, just a plain black background with the SmackDown side or whatever. We get the Guerreros here. They do just kind of some, you know, bickering between the, you know, family bickering, like, who the grandma likes more or something like that. <laughs> and then we get Cena coming to the ring who's been feuding with them and he just keeps making increasingly offensive Hispanic jokes that I'm not going to repeat. Um, he also had a line saying something like starving, like concentration camps. And I was like, good Lord. <laughs> yeah, this was uh, yeah, not a, not very PC from John no. today. Yeah. 
at all. This should this should be his tweets instead of his inspirational tweets. <laughs> he should just tweet out his old <laughs> rap lyrics. <laughs> See how quickly he gets canceled. Woo. Yeah, there were some yeah, there's some rough ones. I oh, mean, yeah, every I mean, of, horrible grass curtain. Yeah, a lot of uh, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, but anyway, they're actually going to be in a tag match. It's going to be the Guerreros versus uh, B2 and <laughs> Cena. Um, Eddie and Chavo are awesome in this. Just great fluid offense. Uh, they come in and out on the tags. Don't miss a beat. I've been talking about it, but they have just transitioned to being faces like um, instantaneously, like just seamless integration of being a uh, face team. Uh, Cena ends up pulling the ropes. It gets Eddie to fall to the outside, and that kind of lets the heels take advantage. Uh, it, but even with the, like I thought throughout this and then, you know, seeing MB2 going with their kind of generic slow offense, but just throughout this, I thought Eddie and Chavo did a really good job of not letting it bog down. Like anytime like Cena and B2 were kind of doing their, like I said, generic offense, they would always hit these like kind of cool counters to wake up the crowd, like, um, like, uh, doing a, a drop kick off of B2's chest or something, just these little comeback spots to keep things interesting rather than you know, turn into a slog. Eddie gets injured on the outside, but uh, Chavo is able to um, get the best to B2 and hit the frog splash kind of like uh, they played off as if like he's hitting it for Eddie and a pretty definitive victory here for the Guerreros. So maybe going to our theory a minute ago, maybe this is another thing they're maybe moving on from because this was a pretty uh, definitive win, but I ended up going two and a half all in the backs of the Guerreros. I just thought they were really awesome and carrying this match. And uh, I thought they did killer work in here. So two and a half for me. Yeah, two and a quarter. I I enjoyed this again. Like it wasn't anything great, but um, uh, I agree with what you said about the Guerreros. Um, I did think Cena looked pretty good too, mixing it up. Uh, So it's an interesting time frame for him. 2003 and his development, I think, will be uh, very fun to track and. I thought he held his own here. He was certainly presented mm-hmm. as the bigger star um, with what happens at the end of this match. And, um, yeah, overall, I thought this was fine. Uh, Chavo and Eddie, are, they're really mm-hmm. – I mean, they are. They're really good. They're they're smooth. And, and like, I know Chavo is very maligned for his later run. But here, I mean, he fits. He's a, he's a really good complimentary piece to Eddie for sure. Yeah, I find them going face is kind of lit a little bit more under Chavo. Like, I find mm-hmm. since they turned face, he's got a little bit more off. I don't know if it's just his style is more suited um, to that. But I find he's been even better when since they turned face. But uh, so, like you, you alluded to, Cena scolds B2. Uh, very good, like a trope on SmackDown right now. It's like these sort of top heels have their little buddy that they like their whipping boy. <laughs> yeah. Like, Cena here scolds B2. And then... um. Um, B2 pushes back at him and then someone in a hoodie comes out and saves Cena and then uh, they team up and throw Bull into the uh, into the post and whoever this random guy is he puts a uh, as Taz calls it a, a Fujiwara armbar on uh, yes. <laughs> on B2 and um, I was thinking they're playing Cena's music or whatever behind this and um, I don't know if this is his music or if this is a dub but it sounded like the menu music from like a Tony Hawk game. It was just like random, like uh, like record scratches, like a turntable. It was just funny. But yeah, I don't know. I, I have no idea who this is, even by the end of the show. I, maybe you know, would know, Chad, but I don't know who this new Cena ally is. Uh, so he, oh, 
Uh, you know, and, and I looked it up, and who was it? I, I even forgot now. The thing was, like, I when I looked it up, they said this is his only appearance in this role. <laughs> like, he's, he's just the next... I think he shows up on Raw. So, it's... Uh, so, random. So there you go. Yeah, I don't know what happened, but they, uh, they dropped this very quickly. It's pure chaos. Just things <laughs> happen and just gone. Like here one week on the next insane, but yeah, cause it's like a big deal. Like he comes out in this big old thing, they attack bull and very odd. All right. We go backstage for another, Oh man, this thing, uh, another black background promo. So this is going to be Benoit. And so he's given a very like subdued, a very different promo than what he would usually give in this sort of situation. Um, much more quiet. Oh, man, this is rough to even read. But he, he says he normally doesn't talk about the sacrifices his family made. Uh, but this Sunday, he has a chance to make up for all the sacrifices, all the time he's been away from home, means something um, when he beats Kurt. He puts over Kurt, but he says that when that he's going to ensure that when they go to the Rumble, Kurt's not going to be 100%, and that some say ruthless aggression, but he has toothless aggression. And so the, the whole point, like, of this promo is they're really trying to get across this, like, more vulnerable side of them, uh, mentioning um, as haunting and as it is in retrospect, like, trying to, you know, do a little more. Like, usually when Benoit gets a promo like this, it's very, like, you know, him being gruff or whatever and putting over that he's, like, ruthless. But here they're trying to, I guess, show this other side of him, which, it, you know, besides that part of it, knowing, looking back in retrospect, I think in a vacuum, it's a really good promo. But obviously everything, you know, anytime he's mentioning his family is kind of rough. Yeah, I, I thought, I mean, in retrospect, it's not the best. But o- overall, mm-hmm. I thought this was okay. I think putting him backstage is probably better, too, for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and just overall, they're presenting this as, you know, like your straight classic wrestling match so it was fine for what it was uh quick quick antidote on cena's buddy because i looked this up and i'll, I'll tell gotcha. myself so it's it's uh he's presented here as red dog yes <laughs> um, i did hear them say that okay yeah he becomes rodney mack okay i thought it was rodney yes. mack so okay. rodney mack when i read that i was like Rodney from the Main Street Posse was this guy because <laughs> they did not look different like Rodney. Him. Yeah, different Rodney. I got into the WWE disease that there can only be one with the same name because <laughs> I was like, I because re- Rodney Mack, I don't know why, but that sounds like a Main Street Posse name, like Rodney Mack and Pete Gas, you know? But no, it's like, oh yeah, definitely different Rodney here. But yeah, so that's that's what happens. Like he, I think he he'll be debuting soon on Raw as Rodney Mack. Okay, I feel like when I watched it, I was like, that seems like Rodney Mack, but honestly, I have no clue. So they were just like, all right, you're about this. Let's give you something else. But uh, all right. So uh, we now have Stephanie come out to the ring. Um, she is also in black, I'm assuming, out of respect for Al Wilson. Uh, but she just does some <laughs> hype for the Rumble. She tells us Taker is going to be back on Sunday. And tonight we're going to get show and a train versus Brock and a mystery partner. So they're doing the whole mystery partner thing tonight, but not much more than that. Just kind of laying out some stuff that's going to happen later. Yeah. Not, not much to this one. Yep. And then we'll go to our weekly build the mop match. And this week he's going to be facing Rikishi. He has the mic when he comes out and says that, uh, 
he's developed a reputation as a bully and that he only picks on smaller guys. And so uh, this week he's going to face Rikishi to show that he can, I guess, beat up on a big guy as well. Uh, they kind of slug it out. They do the big man thing back and forth, but kind of big shots. Dabat slows it down a bit at times with some hold. Rikishi comes back, hits the kind of sidekick. He goes up for the rump shaker. Uh, but Demott cuts him off and uh, drops him with the power bomb to get the win. So the I've covered it throughout the pod. Rikishi has been protected, but it seems like he's finally moving on to. It seems lately they're starting to relegate Rikishi to more enhancement duties. Uh, I would say Jabba to the stars, but I don't know if Bill Demott would fit the star, the star uh, uh, criteria. So I, I went one on this. It was almost like a glorified squash just to continue the uh, the rocket push for Bill Demott here. But uh, you know, I thought the the finish was okay. I thought that was a cool little power bomb but just build a mod is not really compelling to me yeah i mean this should have been on uh raw the way this was presented um you know they say like the best gimmicks in wrestling is your your true personality turned up to 10 so you would think Demod as a bully dickhead would fit but uh doesn't really work out so this was a pretty uninteresting match um even like the big power stuff they did didn't really resonate overall one star two and uh i i hate i hate bill demont like he, he he may be one of my least favorite wrestlers in history like i, I can't think of a time he was interesting so right i i, I presented i think on a previous episode he's like a charisma vacuum yes like, it's like i can't even like he's fine in the ring and stuff it's just something about him it's just i just don't like you just can't care. Yeah, no matter what, right. you cannot care. Yeah, right. yeah. Just, yeah, I agree with him. <laughs> All right, we then, then we go backstage to Kidman, who is mocking Shannon Moore, which is one of the most ridiculous things I've seen. Because, like, how do you mock a man who doesn't speak? <laughs> because Shannon Moore <laughs> has probably said a total of six words since he debuted. And Kidman, like, they're trying to push Kidman here. Like, he mocked Al Wilson. Now he's mocking Shannon Moore. Like, he's this. Um, like he's Frank Caliendo or something, like an impressionist, <laughs> like Kidman, like Mr. Funny Guy. It's just, oh, man. Yeah, I don't know if it fits him. But yeah. uh, Matt takes takes up for Shannon and says Kidman is just jealous that he's not a Mattitude follower. And uh, I should mention Funaki's here, the number one journalist on SmackDown. Uh, the, so uh, Matt rags on him for supposedly being a journalist and not even knowing English. And so... Um, Funaki then asks Shannon, why does he put up with Matt's BS, which then Matt snaps and attacks, and uh, Funaki kind of fires back at him, and uh, uh, Matt and Shannon go, um, like, cowering away. So, um, I mean, I like Matt here. He's obviously got probably the most going on of any of these guys, but I don't know. Pushing Kidman as uh, (laughs) someone I'm supposed to buy as funny is not really working for me. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe Kidman was like one of these guys that was like cracking the boys mm-hmm. up in the back, but it didn't really right. resonate uh, <laughs> well, on screen. So, right. Um, but we might get a. It would certainly seem like we might see Funaki in the ring tonight. So yes, yes, they do tease that. I mean, uh, overall, I guess with this, I'm a little more lenient because I like these guys as in-ring workers so mm-hmm. it's like okay well i can handle this again right. like this is the disparity between this and raw where it's like with the stuff of like nowitzki and maven it's like well, mm-hmm. i don't care about them so it's it's a double whammy where here it's like oh this could be some fun matches so i i could 
at least like play along. Right, exactly. So, all right, we will go on to um, a little undercard feud that's been going on on SmackDown where uh, Nunzio is going to be facing <clears throat> Tajiri here. So this is exactly kind of what you're talking about, Chad. Yeah. Like just not a whole lot of storyline to this, but it's kind of an interesting little matchup on paper. Uh, we get a another one of these backstage pre-tape interviews, this time with Tajiri, where he's just <laughs> screaming about wanting the rumble, I think, and uh, <laughs> spitting the mist, which uh, you know I'm fine with this. Uh, the, a lot. So this whole match centered on Nunzio like relentlessly going after the arm and Tajiri kind of fighting out, which I thought they did a good job of getting over the struggle of this. I thought Nunzio was real good going after the arm. <laughs> and, of course, Tajiri, when he starts making his comebacks with the kicks are good. The tarantula looked awesome as always. Um, but um, Nitty gets up on the apron to distract, which does get her misted by Tajiri. Um, but then that allows Nunzio to uh, hit what uh, Taz calls the <laughs> Arriva Dirty, which is uh, like a tornado, I guess, kind of like tornado DDT, but it's like an arm bar, which is a pretty cool move. But uh, yeah. at uh, also Doug Taz calling after Nitty gets missed, he called her a green tomato. <laughs> Okay. But uh, I, I enjoyed this nice little sprint. I ended up going uh, two and a quarter on it, Chad. Yeah, two and a half for me. I really like mm-hmm. these guys' chemistry mm-hmm. uh, in ECW back to those days. And overall, yeah, a pretty tight, enjoyable five-minute match here where Nunzio uh, has always had some great variations on the arm work that he does. Everything looks mm-hmm. tight and looks effective, even though he loses more than he don't. But I actually like that he picked up the win here. I was surprised at that, but I thought it was done well where, you know, Tajiri still gets the big crowd reaction from misting Nidia, but uh, Nuncio still looks tough and is able to uh, hit that flying R bar to secure the victory. So overall for a undercard, mid-card little feud, I, I thought this was very successful. Agree, yeah. Fun little match. I always like to see Tajiri and... Yeah, I like that finish, that arm bar. That uh, mm-hmm. Nunzio finish is pretty sweet. All right, so we then get the uh, we get the highlights from the uh, the 10th anniversary Raw show that you were mentioning earlier. Um, uh, the one I remember the most from this is they do a whole, like, uh, Stephanie and Triple H. Like, uh, well, there's two things I remember. They do Stephanie and Triple H, like, because they're playing up, you know, kayfabe, they're divorced or whatever. And uh, that one last kiss, and then Triple H shows his ass and she slaps him. And the other being that, um, Austin wins, uh, whatever raw superstar of the decade or whatever of, you know, right. best raw superstar. And then Vince comes out and says, he's not here because he wasn't invited, but the way they do it seems very like, like not something they would do for somebody that they were on the, still on the outs with, I would say. Yeah. I, I mean, like, mm-hmm. like, like it, and you know, like Vince was more of a heel here. Um, so that was different uh and uh yeah it seemed like it was maybe advancing a feud between them two i mean but right. i guess they're just you know they're married to each other period the triple h mm-hmm. just stephanie stuff was pretty fun i thought mm-hmm. um at least acknowledging that um mm-hmm. that, but this this did have the this did have kind of the slammy i mean this certainly had the slammy vibe where it's like cafe but we're a little you know more tongue-in-cheek so it's it's an interesting dynamic yeah it might be something i have to see if like you said it might be on youtube might have some <laughs> interesting little moments in that yeah but, right 
Yeah, like I was just thinking, like if this was back when Austin, you know, near the confidential episode, I think they would just like give it to Rock or something if they still were real pissed at him. Right. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they're certainly uh, are starting to heavily mend the fences. If it wasn't already said in stone that he was coming back, so. Right. I mean, I would All think right. they would with mm-hmm. the with the with the angle they did with Bischoff. I mean, I would mm-hmm. think they knew then what was going on. So. Right. All right. So uh, Josh Matthews asks uh, Cena what happened with B two, and he gives like. Yeah. He, he drops a full-on, like, 16 bars, and then this is where he drops that uh, his new protege, Red Dog, is going to be replacing <laughs> Bull. But based on what you read a second ago, that is not actually going to happen. But no. they really don't give you much about his identity here, really. I mean, no. they call him Red Dog, but not much about who he actually is. But I just love that scene is, like, um, <laughs> I said it before, but he's, like, um, what is it, like, I'm going to make sure I get it right, Kazam, like the Shaq movie? Like, everything has oh. to be answered, like, in rap form? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a character choice, for sure. Um, right. It's it's just so different to see him in this era, mm-hmm. too, because it feels like it was a kind of natural progression to a degree, but it's just like, you go from this to five years later, you put like JBL as poopy on a, on a bar. It's like, what, what happened here? But yeah. Right. It's going to be a, a progression, a slow insight to see <laughs> where we go from, you know, saying uh, offensive Hispanic jokes <laughs> yeah. via rapping to, you know, hustle loyalty, respect, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Tell people they should go back to working at the Home Depot to Mr. Upstanding <laughs> Citizen that powers through, right. never give up. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. So now we get to the um, the the highlight of the oh. show here, which is going to be uh, Dawn in the funeral home. Uh, so we're at, I guess, <laughs> Al's wake. Wake. Uh, Dawn's here. She approaches the casket. <laughs> Anytime, Al, Al and Taz, uh, Taz on these Al Wilson things, because he just goes, you know, it's all solid. And Taz goes, "Yep, he's a goner." <laughs> Great. Uh, Dawn tells the, uh, I guess the funeral home worker guy that everything is beautiful and they open the casket and we see Al's body. Uh, she says that he doesn't look so good. They didn't do a very good job preparing him. <laughs> she starts to cry and then scream about, why did you have to leave me, Al? More ridiculous, dramatic music uh, and that she will carry on for him and then gives him um, a kiss. A kiss, yeah. Yeah, she kisses him. Now, I have to say to this whole thing, because I didn't really remember this part, I was just waiting for Al to sit up out the casket <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> like, I just felt like that's where this was going. But um, it, it, any thoughts on this? Um, it won't uh, be the last we see of them. Uh, yeah, I mean, so on this segment, the thing that took me aback was uh, Don, you know, giving the bad Yelp review to this funeral home for their job and uh, making Al up was uh, weird. Um, also, the demographic at Al's public viewing, like, <laughs> I mean, this guy was trending young because, like, this was, uh, this was a pretty happening crowd uh, that came to see Al off here. Uh, you know, somebody... Because you said he was, what, 1941 or whatever? So he was <laughs> right. in his 60s when he passed here. So uh, he was he was hanging out with the under-30 crowd. So good good for nice. him. 
based on his relationship with Dawn. I mean, I guess maybe that was yeah, his, yeah, was hang, hang, hanging out with her social circle. I, I suppose. <laughs> right. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll be back here in a minute. So yeah, we'll be the last we see of the funeral home. All right, we cut to Stephanie on the phone. She was talking to Shane about Eric. Uh, the whole situation on Raw until Brock comes in, interrupts, and if he gets, uh, he says, if he gets beat up tonight, show and train are going down with him. And she says not to worry because he will not be outnumbered because she has picked him a good partner. And uh, and then we go to Heyman who cuts a promo uh, just before, uh, just him like doing his normal Heyman thing, putting over the Rumble, like kind of the Heyman hard sell promo, just putting over the Rumble and the stakes of everything. Which was solid, but I mean, it's typical Heyman stuff. Yeah, typical Heyman stuff, and with Big Show, so it's kind of <laughs> you know you know what you're getting. <laughs> right, just um, yeah, Big Show grunting in the background. All right, so this is going to be our, um, which I was kind of surprised to see this earlier in the show. I thought we might close with this, but mm-hmm. um, it's going to be a Show and Train versus Brock, and it's revealed that Brock's mystery partner is going to be a returning Rey Mysterio, which. I thought that was a pretty good reveal. I was pleasantly surprised. It was. I figured it would just be, like, I thought it was a decent enough little, um, you know, mystery partner reveal. Uh, but off the charts energy from Ray and Brock. Uh, they make quick work of them. I mean, just kind of <laughs> completely destroying show and train. Um, but good combination of the power and the speed. Ray ends up getting his revenge on A Train hitting the six one nine. Not much of a match, but a, a pretty good moment. And the crowd dug it. They popped for the Ray return and for Brock, you know, taking out Big Show. Certainly seems like Brock is not going to be um, stopped by Big Show at the uh, at the pay-per-view. So I win a star on this, almost like a squash. Yeah, half a star because it was, yeah, it's 35 seconds. But I did like the reveal. I uh, liked uh, Ray's outfit and him and Brock seemed like a very fun tag team together. Um but I also agree with you that Big Show and A-Train as foals for Brock seem pretty beneath him. And, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it did seem in watching these two shows that there wasn't many options on who would win the Rumble. Like, it right. seemed pretty obvious where we were headed, uh, which isn't always a bad thing, but... Right. It just, it just, you know, like with Brock, with Big Show and A Train, it's like, well, you know, he's gonna have to have something heading into Mania. This ain't it, you know. So, right. I think their bigger issue with the Rumble is just the lack of, like, not that there's a predictable winner, but just there's not much else going on. I mean, you got the Sean Jericho stuff, but other yeah, than that, it does not a whole lot of intrigue. Right. I mean, Undertaker coming back mm-hmm. and keep kind of pushing that, but. It's, it's tough because, I mean, the last we saw of Undertaker, right, he lost a definitive feud for the title. So you're, you're not just going to thrust him right back in, you wouldn't think. So it's it's uh, there's, there's just not a lot of thread lines that are very interesting in the Rumble match itself, mm-hmm. like you said. Right. And with the two guys, and with the two titles now, you're kind of taking up more guys, more of your yep. top guys having to have title matches. So that's true, too. Yeah. All right, we cut back to the funeral home where Dawn and Tori are having a stare down. Um, that's all we get for now. But and, and well, Tori's dress also, uh, <laughs> right? You know. She's like equally revealing. To yeah, Dawn at her know, father's I've, funeral. I've, I've heard of you know like trying to make a scene at like a wedding to uh, to attract attention, but 
Don and Tori both uh, revealing this that the funeral of their of our of her husband and her dad is uh, two interesting choices. Yeah, a lot of cleavage at this funeral. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna get uh, another one, like you said earlier, uh, Chad. Just another little, you know, not much to it as far as build, but a cool little matchup on paper: Matt Hardy versus Funaki. Um, our mad fact for the night is that Matt was academically gifted in elementary school, which I don't know if that implies that he was not gifted after that, but, <laughs> anyway. um, but, uh, I liked, uh, Funaki's fire at the beginning. He's obviously pissed off about what happened early. So he's kind of laying everything in. I also liked his SmackDown tights that he has the SmackDown logo on his tights. <laughs> like he's like Mr. SmackDown. That's great. But, uh, yeah, he's bringing it. He's hitting the Inziguris. He does the, uh, like, second rope reverse neck breaker. He hits a nice little plancha. So Funaki's bringing the goods. Shannon makes his presence known, keeps causing some problems for Funaki until Kidman comes and neutralizes him. The ref is dealing with them and um, uh, can't count when Matt eats a crossbody from Funaki. And in all of the chaos, uh, Matt is able to, uh, even though to to jury, sorry, (laughs) Um, (laughs) Funaki has um, uh, taken most of this match. Matt ends up stealing with the uh, twist of fate. So, um, yeah, I didn't mind this. I thought, you know, the heel steals are like you would expect. You're not going to put Funaki over. Um, This is a brief, probably, uh, break from his uh, backstage reporting duties. I thought he looked good. Matt steals the win. Fun little match. I went uh, two and a quarter, Chad. Two and a half for me again. Um, yeah, I thought uh, this was a good enhancer for Matt. Uh, my main takeaway from this just was in comparison to Jeff and like that match with Raven, which had some mm-hmm. interesting stuff, but I think like Matt as a character is so much more interesting mm-hmm. right now. Like with the with the version 1.0, it's 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 cool, and even with his lackey Shannon Moore. So uh, overall, this was another like enjoyable mid card match. Yep, I would agree. It's typically what SmackDown does. Just like you said, it's just it's hard to even really like completely explain it, but it just it just has a bit more juice to it. Yeah. Well, it's 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 breezy to watch. Like I uh-huh. kept with Raw, I kept scrolling over to see how much longer I had on the video file. <laughs> never and, a good sign. Yeah, never a good sign. Whereas SmackDown, you know, I put it on, I watched it all in one viewing, and it was it was like, oh, okay, cool, you know. Right. And um, Matt slapped Shannon for whatever reason. Even yeah. Though he, <laughs> even though he could feel like he kind of did all right. I mean, he won the match, but just it's like a weird whipping boy thing. But all right. All right, There's a lot the, of that, like mm-hmm. you mentioned. I mean, you got Cena's yeah, lackeys, you got Matt, and then with Team Angle. So man, there's a lot of that going on. Even like A Train's kind of Big Show's bitch as well. So <laughs> it's very weird. It's big hairy bitch. <laughs> yeah, he's butch bitch. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we head back to the funeral now, maybe for the final time. Oh. We now, we now see Tori's reaction to her father. Uh, she goes over the body. She's crying until Dawn slowly approaches her and yells at her about never caring about Al anyway. And she says that Al died of a broken heart. You killed him, Tori, and then slaps the piss out of her. Uh, Tori fires back at her, and the casket, the casket falls off the uh, the thing holding it. So <laughs> in, the, in the fracas. Uh, and then... Um, 
I guess uh, I guess Tori thinks she's got dog taken care of, so she's um, kneeling at Al again and then crying, saying she's sorry for all this. And then Dawn walks up and smashes a lamp over her head while um, while you know everybody in the funeral home is you know losing their shit. And uh, again, all insane scene. And all I could think, of, I was just I'm telling you the whole time I was like Al's gonna sit up. I'm just waiting for him. It just felt like he's like that's where this would go, but. Um, I do feel at this point, like I've kind of enjoyed this in a weird way, just because it's like been so ridiculous. But I feel like now it's reached a tipping point that it's like too much focus on this. Like before, it's kind of just can't be fun, but it's just taken over the show a little bit too much. Like instead of just being like a sideshow with like entertaining bullshit and kind of you know hearing Taz rib on Al Wilson, now it's just like they're playing it more of like a soap opera a little bit too much rather than the absurdity. And I feel like it's reached the point where I'm becoming less entertained by it. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I, and I think they're like, you'll have to see when you read the observer coming up. Cause I know there was a rumor that like the originally Al was going to set up and then, <laughs> like, and then like something like he was going to walk out and get, hit by a bus or whatever and killed for good <laughs> something completely preposterous so that, that that could be that could be on the scott keith you know mabel's the right. third guy that that uh, <laughs> that that side of the spectrum but you'll you'll have to let me know um I'll, I'll listen in but yeah i mean the casket falling over was so preposterous it was just ridiculous um I, I don't know. What can you say? Like this is I mean it set up their match at Rumble, so it did do that, but right. we did commit a lot of time to this. A whole right. lot of time. Which I'm sure is gonna be I'm sure like a thirty five minute match, right? At the Rumble. Of I'm course. sure it won't be I'm sure it won't be all of six minutes. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> for this um insane amount again. I've been a I haven't hated the stuff, but this was it just wasn't as entertaining as the. I mean, I like the casket falling. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I, maybe I need the director's cut where I'll get hit by the bus. Oh god! If I mean, if he would have set up, like, what could you even? I mean, like, what would his motive have even been for that? <laughs> like, why would he have faked his own death uh, to see Don's true feelings? I, I don't know. I don't right. know. Right. I would have I would have said that Dawn would have set him up for, but here I am fantasy booking. Oh yeah, <laughs> Al oh, yeah. So. both both of them walk out and both get hit by a bus and they have their happy ending. I don't sure. know, it's so weird. All right, so we now run down the Rumble card. So our final card, but you know, well the Rumble match obviously Triple H versus Steiner, Brock versus Show, Dudley's versus Regal and Storm for the tag titles. Of course, Tori and Dawn. <laughs> and uh, Kurt, Kurt versus uh, Benoit for the title. So there's our our card, which is, you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we're we're it's card. intriguing. It's a weird card. Um, just just the build. I mean, the build for these shows is, uh, has been weird going in. Like, I don't know how you could be that excited about the card. Um, again, I guess they were hoping the order Rumble would sell itself. Or if you were a big work rate fan, you would mm-hmm. just, you know, expect to see a classic between Angle and Benoit. Um, but as far as like time on these two shows, the match that got the most time on these two shows was Tori and Al. Or and right. Tori and Don. So that that and, shows. 
And the, and the thing about that is the the reason they're doing that is, you know, in their heads, they're trying to capture anybody who likes like soap opera stuff. But anybody who, you know, really is into that is probably not going to care if they see a match, you know, like, yeah, they no, want to watch mean, a soap opera, you know, there is. So I, I need to see if some uh, uh, soap opera fans like Sheriff Pete <laughs> and uh, Marty, Marty Sleaze are, uh, are proponents of this because even as someone that uh, sadly has watched a good bit of days of our lives and knows some of the more infamous uh, storylines on that show, like Marlene is possessed by the devil, you know, it's still <laughs> ridiculous, uh, but I, I can't see this really captivating that audience either. All right. All right. Well, we'll head to our main event, which is going to be um, the full team angle. So the first we're going to see of angle, um, in ring since his injury and uh against benoit edge it'll be a three-on-two handicap match and uh kurt still has the one crutch and they're almost playing it up like he doesn't necessarily need the crutch he's just been using it as a weapon so he's still carrying it around uh so um early on we have benoit kind of squaring off with both of the uh the team angle with haas and benjamin laying into them uh, the two sidekicks kind of make an example of them. And they really frame this around Benoit trying to get his hands on Angle throughout the entire match. Just sort of is the, I guess, the intrigue of this or kind of what they build the heat around. Uh, Angle comes in and gets a uh, a low blow. but he so And then Haas comes back in and takes over. Uh, Edge comes in and it comes in. But there's a teamwork by Ting Angle kind of like isolating him by uh, tripping him and then tagging Kurt. He starts to wear down Edge a bit. But uh, really, I thought they're really doing a good job of establishing Haas and Benjamin as just like these machines, like they're cut from the same cloth as Angle, kind of work that same style of like dissecting guys like Angle would do. And that's exactly what they do here. They hit a variety of different suplexes, um, really getting over the handicap setup of the match as it gets to maybe the midpoint, like showing like the numbers are eventually catching up to Benoit and Edge here as they do a very long heat segment on edge, but I thought it was well done. Like they keep things, the variety's good and the crowd is sort of into it because they're just waiting for Benoit to get in there. Benoit finally gets the hot tag, gets his hands on angle, um, beats him up a good bit, hits the cross face. Um, but then Benoit ends up eating the crutch. Uh, sorry, Benoit gets the crutch, I should say, and then lets it rip on angle for the DD, uh, for the DQ. And so they're kind of, framing it that Benoit kind of reached his breaking point, And he also was maybe less worried about winning the match and more about just hurting angle and like softening him up. Like he said in the promo earlier. So it kind of fits the story. He was, more, the whole point of this was that he wanted to get his hands on Kurt and he finally did. Uh, I thought the match before it was pretty, pretty good. I like the, um, I like what team angle did. Um, I liked, I thought Benoit came off as a badass, and I thought edge played his role well in the middle as sort of like the face, like the intermediary intermediary between these two as you're waiting for Benoit to get the hot tag. So I thought this is a good main event, builds to the uh, the big match at the Rumble. Uh, so I ended up going three on it. I enjoyed this. I thought it was a solid way to close the show. Yeah, I like this a lot. I went three and mm-hmm. a quarter, uh, a little mm-hmm. bit higher. But I uh, agree with your sentiment on most of your thoughts. I uh, thought the hierarchy that you saw between Team Mangle was really well done. Um, I thought his kind of uh, eluding of uh, him kind of running away from Benoit was was smartly done well, where it was it was kind of like 
a little bit of the cowardly hill stuff, but was also presented in a way where it was kind of mind gamey, you know, like you had to go through Team Angle and all that. Uh, then you got the long face and peril segment on Edge, which Edge is normally someone I don't really care for that much as a face and peril, but I thought he did a good job here. And uh, Team Angle overall did a great job keeping the action going, tagging in and out, cutting the ring off. Very solid uh, tag team work. Finish itself with Benoit going nuts and uh, getting the DQ I thought was also done well. And um, it, I, I thought it led in about as good as you could hope for to their match on Sunday where um, it, it, it's a little bit of a weird thing where Angle seems so dependent on Team Angle and they're also presenting this as like going to be a great match. Like they're trying to sell it as that too that you could be a little weary that you get like a shoddy or cheap finish with team mm-hmm. angle. Um, so I, I probably would have been a little weary of that going in, seeing what I saw here. But, um, but overall I thought this was, uh, all mostly successful and a, a good match to end the show for sure. Yeah. As we've kind of, you know, been a bit down on this final build, I do think, that this has been um, a feud that's consistently been built well over the past month, like the angle stuff, him bringing in team angle, the whole injury thing and kind of him trying to protect himself. And while having to fight through these guys, I think that's all been done pretty well. And I've said before, it's good on them too, because it's not like this is the freshest feud in the world. I mean, these guys have had a decent amount of matches in the last year. So to kind of freshen up with all this stuff is pretty cool. So good on them. Um, but that wraps us up on SmackDown. Uh, certainly not perfect, um, but definitely a step up from Raw. I would say, like um, uh, like we mentioned, I would like some some more Rumble hype that's not just about Brock and Big Show and stuff. But I did think that was effective overall. Too much Dawn soap opera stuff for this one. They they needed to, they did build things okay. I think it could have been a little more focused, but at least like we mentioned, the sort of the filler stuff on here was a little more entertaining than what we saw on Raw. And the main event was good, which is always, you know, always helps the show. So I ended up bumping this up to about a five. To me, this is about down the middle for SmackDown. Okay. Yeah, I, w- I went five and a half. I, I thought yeah. the the uh the kind of filler matches were entertaining enough. And then you at least got one good match, uh, to kind of cap the show that, right. uh, had to just slightly above average. Right. And just felt a little more focused than raw, even with the filler stuff. I feel yeah. like they hit their, hit their big angles a little better than raw. Agreed. So. All right. So we will wrap it up with our awards. I think best match. We'd probably both have that tag. We just talked about the team angle tag. Yep. Best moment. This is an interesting one. I almost <laughs> want to go Ray's return, which is weird going into the Royal Rumble because he's not really going to be much of, you know, it's not like they're hyping his return for the Rumble, but I felt like that was one of the bigger moments. I don't know. What'd you have for this one, Chad? Yeah, I think I could go along with that as well. Um, I think the moments they wanted to be the bigger moments fell flat. Or mm-hmm. just ridiculous. So I, I'm I'm cool with Ray's kind of return. I, I think that's fine. Yeah, maybe as a critique of these shows that that's the. You know. Yeah, I mean, it, you would you would think it might be some like really hot heading into the Rumble, but uh, it didn't turn out that way. 
Right. Uh, better show. I think we both had SmackDown face center yes. ratings. Yep. Yep. Um, LVP, I ended up going with Maven because by the time I got to my awards, I kind of went back through my notes and I didn't even remember Maven was on the show. So <laughs> that's not a good sign. Oh, God, there's a, there's a lot of candidates here. Um, I, I might actually go D'Lo Brown. I... <laughs> Oh man, there's so many from Raw, but to me, he right. personified when he came out there that you know this was a guy that was fun in 1998, 1999, mm-hmm. and now is just hanging on and seems unmotivated. You know, doesn't mm-hmm. seem in shape. So if you want to body shame him a little bit too, you can. Is his whole presentation? just looks lackluster and sloppy and his in-ring performance personifies that in this match. So. Live it up to the billing. I gave that match as the LVP tag. Yes. yes. Both of our LVPs. <laughs> um, MVP was, uh, I think a few, I didn't think anybody stood out way above everybody, but I'm gonna go with Kurt as the, like kind of the champ of this stable going in and making his in-ring return there. Um, I'd probably go with either him or Benoit. Yeah, I may, uh, I'll probably go Benoit, um, just because I think the onus was on him a little bit more with the promo and him showing the, like, fire at the very end, uh, and I thought he did a good job. I mean, he did his job well in doing that. Again, though, I'd say that's a little bit of, uh, also, like, a veiled shot at the quality of both the shows, because... I mean, you might think it was Jericho, but like that ending brawl with Michaels wasn't very heated, and the 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 over the top challenge was a weird match. So I don't think you can give it to him either. Right. All right. Um, you have any standout performers besides your MVP? Uh, I mean, I thought I thought Matt Hardy was a lot of fun in his role, and uh, it seemed like he was someone that was actually kind of above the Cruiserweight title um, uh, with what he was doing. But it, e- either way, it was uh, very interesting stuff. Um, I, I mean, I, I've been, I enjoy Brock around this era, and he wasn't on a whole lot, but everything he did was fine. So uh, that, and then I'll, I'll give another shout-out to Chavo, uh, Chavo Guerrero. Again, someone I'm not too fond of with his overall career, but, uh, certainly was effective in what he did on this show tonight. Yep. I'd throw, yeah, I had the girls also, I'd throw Haas and Benjamin team angle. I feel like as new guys, they're establishing themselves. Well, so yeah. they're all in that match and, uh, Funaki had a nice little cameo. We don't get to see <laughs> Funaki too yeah. much. And, uh, he brought the good. So good on him. Uh, but that'll wrap us up, Chad. Uh, I would, Thanks for coming on. Would you like to plug what we have going on here on the uh, North South Connection? Yeah, so we have uh, we have coverage every day now, um, and uh, a, a good bit of it. So, uh, kind of two things to keep your eye on every day. Where we usually have uh, one, uh, I guess, kind of centerpiece, long form show that'll drop Monday through Friday, almost uh, exclusively every day. Uh, but also, we got the Cronoso Daily. Uh, pod blast formats where we're chronicling chronologically all the matches and WWF WWE super show history uh, will probably be around WrestleMania two uh, when this show drops or a little bit after the Saturday night's main event after that. 
Um, but 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 that's a lot of fun. I mean, that's eight to ten minutes. It's a different voice every day, so a, a very quick listen. Um, kind of became my morning routine to just, you know, pop it on, listen to it, and you know, it's a fun fun way to kind of get you into the workday for me. So so I've been very pleased with that. Very good. And of course, the uh, Wrestling War Zone is back. Which is Wrestling War Zone fun. is back. Yeah, we're heading. We're still in uh, September 1996, but uh, uh, an interesting time frame where uh, WCW is still firing on all cylinders. Raw and WWF is still kind of a, a little bit of a mess. Like, a, you, like they have the characters there, they just haven't put it together. So I, I keep coming back to the analogy that they have the ingredients, they just haven't found the perfect recipe yet. I'm glad you guys are back, and I'm glad we were finally hook up to do the show, even though it might not have been the most, uh, <laughs> the greatest week of TV. But you know, I'm glad you uh, you toughed it out with me. Sure. Uh, but uh, as for me, I'll be back in two weeks, and we will cover this rumble and see, um, you know, what happens. It's out of the realm that it could be good because you know, you know, they do have a tendency sometimes in this stretch to have maybe lackluster build and then kind of put it together on the pay-per-view so we'll see i'll be back in two weeks and i will let you know but uh yeah that's it for the roots the aggressive podcast see you next time Can somebody, anybody tell me why? Can somebody, anybody tell me why?